Somewhere, somewhere today we're going to sing. <laughs> yeah. You ever, get, you ever get a song stuck in your head? Like, a, I mean, it's really, really stuck in your head. I got a song stuck in my head. We're going to get to it sooner or later. I know it. <laughs> okay. Um, Bill Johnson says something amazing. And I love, I love this phrase. He says this a lot. He says, God is better than you think. So change the way you think. God's better than you think, so change the way you think. One of the things, and a lot of things in life for me, I, I, uh, I'm, I'm, very, I'm, I'm very purpose-driven. Who, Rick Warren wrote the book, Purpose Driven Life. I'm purpose-driven and goal-oriented. I'm, I'm, I'm constantly trying to find purposes and goals. I think those are important things in life. So uh, I often try to, try to turn my, if I can say this the right way, turn my thinking as to... Uh, Where's my goal? What am I trying to do? Even with ministry, uh, maybe, can I say this? Over the last several years, I've had to redefine ministry. <laughs> redefine what my purpose is. Because, uh, for, can I go here and tell you, I've been pastoring for quite a few years, I, I can talk about it. But early on in my pastoral ministry, I thought, I thought my, the goal of my ministry was to fix everybody. Because <laughs> everybody needed fixed. <laughs> you know? They would come and tell me what was wrong, and I thought it was my job to fix them. Because that's what pastors do. They fix people. How do you know that? Because that's what my pastor tried to do. Fix everybody that had a problem. Right? So that's what pastors do, because that was my view, you know. Because we all have a view. We have a, we have a can I say a world view? Call it whatever you want to. But, but my view of that, my, my idea of that was that this is what pastors do. They fix people. So I thought it was my job to fix people. And you run around and try to fix everybody. And... Uh, I would tell you that today, if you ask me, what, what's your goal in ministry? What are you working toward? What are you trying to accomplish? I would tell you that my goal, my, what I feel is very important to me, is to help people change the way they think. I'll never be able to help you change the way you act if I can't help you change the way you think. If I only change the way you act without changing the way you think, I'm just controlling you. And I'll only be able to control you while I'm in your presence. That is a good word. That is a good word. Mm-hmm. I'm going to change the way you think, not just the way you act. Does that make sense? So it's a challenge. The challenge is to get people to change the way they think. How do you get them to change the way they think? Present something new. Present something new. Give them something to consider. And it's not about convincing them that you're right and they're wrong. We're going to talk about confrontation today. Most confrontation happens because I think I'm right and you're wrong. <laughs> and I'm going to convince you that I'm right. And in my goal of trying to convince you that I'm right, I'm really trying to convince you that you're wrong. And that's when we end up in an argument. Come on. I've said it lots of times in preaching. The only time Lori and I ever fight is when she's wrong. We never disagree when she's right. Do you understand what I just said? Because I wouldn't be disagreeing with her if I really believed that she was right. I disagree with her when I really believe she's wrong. So we argue because she's wrong. If she quit being wrong, we'd quit arguing. (laughs) Does it make sense from that mentality? You understand that? So we deal with confrontation all the time. The problem is we have a really messed up view of confrontation. We have a really messed up view of what confrontation is supposed to be about or what it even looks like. 
And sometimes it causes tremendous conflict in our lives because we deal with confrontation all wrong. Okay? Confrontation is never about me controlling you. Confrontation is about me empowering you to make good choices. Does that make sense? And we have to look at confrontation as a tool for empowerment, not a tool for control. And that's where we get messed up. That's where we get in trouble. That's where we have conflict. That's where we get, can I go there? That's where we get divorced and a whole lot of other things. Because we don't know how to deal with confrontation because nobody ever explained it to us. So we're going to talk about confrontation. Some keys for confrontation. We'll have some fun with this, okay? Um, yeah, my mind is spinning a lot of places. <laughs> Mark said something to me just a little while ago. We'll talk about this for a minute. A lot of the problems we have that cause confrontation is because I would believe that every one of you in this room wants to be dead to yourself. Did you catch what I said? Wants to be. <laughs> I didn't say everybody in this room is. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and honestly, I, there is so much liberty and freedom in being dead. And, and I, I, I will make this statement. I'm in the process of dying. Okay. <laughs> I'd, like to, I'd like to be able to stand here as a pastor and, 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 and as a ministry leader and call it whatever you want to. And we can put all kinds of titles there and tell you, I am dead to myself and alive unto Christ. And just when I think I'm completely dead to myself, I have a resurrection service. <laughs> and we raise the dead again. And we and we we struggle with that sometimes. Um, I'll say this, and I, I, I uh, it was a it was a very enlightening moment for me. A young lady came to me very frustrated with her husband. She said, "I can get along with anybody else on the planet except him." <laughs> anybody ever been there? You understand what I'm saying? You know? Yeah. He has the power to push my buttons. So we need to pray right now. Pray for him. Took her hands and said, Father, I just thank you for this precious woman in front of me. And I'm asking you, God, with everything in me, please, Lord, take away all her buttons so he has nothing left to push. <laughs> because, because, watch this. Do you, do you understand that? I don't have the power to control you. I have the power to control me. I have to learn how to, what it is to be dead to myself. Because I can't control you. I can't control your action. I can control my reaction. Did y'all follow what I just said? That's like worth coming. See you later. No, I'm okay. Listen, okay. okay. Listen, but think about this, okay? Because the truth of the matter is, I have to get to that place where I'm dying out to myself. One of the things that I so admire about Pastor Dan... And I, I think one of the challenges that's in front of us on a regular basis is when you're listening to him teach, when you're listening to him share, even out of all the life experiences, I believe the difference between Pastor Dan and a whole lot of people that I know in the body of Christ is he's a lot more dead than the rest of us. It's deader. <laughs> Does that make sense? 
Y'all follow that? I don't know. Is there different degrees of dead? <laughs> but, and I understand that. Please understand that phrase because John's right. I guess I've never thought about different degrees of dead. Yeah. Yeah. Some of us have been mortally wounded. We're just not dead yet. <laughs> We're still on life support. <laughs> We're on life support. Okay. Get somebody to pull the plug. <laughs> Okay. But you can see you can see the challenge. Come on, we can see the challenge to that. The challenge is dying. The challenge is Can I say this? We work real hard to protect ourselves. Does that make sense? We work real hard to protect ourselves. We work real hard to protect our own feelings and our own Do you understand that? Cuz that's really big in my heart. In trying to protect myself, I keep myself in bondage. There's a bondage to that. Actually, that remember I said a little bit when we were first just kind of getting, we'll sing sometime, because it's so in my heart. The song that's in my heart is, my chains are gone. I've been set free. Do you understand? I'll never be free from you until I learn what it is to be free from me. We were talking about that a little bit yesterday. I think so much of my chains have absolutely nothing to do with you and everything to do with me. I've got to be learn. I've got to learn to be free from me. I've got to quit. We're we're trained for self preservation. Sunday school class was going on and the Sunday school teacher was teaching about heaven. Talking about how beautiful heaven was and what a wonderful place heaven is. It was just a small kids class. First, second, and third graders. And the teacher said, after this marvelous dissertation about heaven, said, how many of you want to go to heaven? And everybody in the class raised their hand except little Johnny. So she said again, she said, come on, you know, everybody wants to go to heaven, right? How many want to go to heaven? Everybody in the class raised their hand except for little Johnny. And she said, she looked at him, she said, Johnny, don't you want to go to heaven when you die? He said, well, yeah. She said, why didn't you raise your hand? He said, I thought you was getting up a load to go now. (laughs) (laughs) We have this thing of self-preservation. Everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to die. Can I tell you something? And the reality of that is that a lot of times the guards that we put around our life, the, 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 the walls that we put up, you all know what I'm talking about, the, the stuff that keeps people back is because we're preserving ourselves. We're trying to protect this. We're trying to... The walls that I've built to keep you out have become a prison that's kept me in. Because we've, can I say we've been abused? Um, We've been abused by family. We've been abused by friends. We've been abused by the church. We've been abused by spiritual authorities. Come on. We've mishandled confrontation in a lot of ways. 
and it's caused us to become very defensive, okay? In that same thing, watch this. Think about this. I constantly will have somebody, I'll say, hey, meet me in my office. Do you know what happens when I say to somebody, hey, meet me in my office? Oh my gosh. What'd I do? Why? Because I'm being called to the pastor's office, right? I'm only bringing them in there because I want to talk with them and it's, it, it may be something that's absolutely hilarious. I'm just looking for a quiet place for us to go. It has nothing to do with, oh my gosh, you're in trouble. But whether we got called as a kid to the principal's office, whether we got called to the pastor's office, somebody in authority, the boss wants you to meet me in my office, he might be wanting to give you a raise. But your immediate thought was, oh my gosh, I've been called to the boss's office. Why? Because they're the authority and we've become all but afraid of authority. Am I right? Okay, so we stop and think about it. Man, let's, let's just go for it. Let's go to Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. I love this. We're going to talk a while. Okay. George, I was going to say that I've never taught this before, and it's like a pilot. <laughs> you know where I'm at, okay? <laughs> yeah, you know where I'm at, okay, yeah. But we won't go there. Go to Galatians 6 and 1. <laughs> You're welcome. Catch this and see what he says. I'm going to read this out of the King James. There's a couple other versions I like better, but I kind of have a liking for this Bible. But in 6 and 1, he says, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, you that are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness. Another version says in the spirit of gentleness. Okay? That's a strong word right there. Meekness or gentleness. You that are strong. Okay? You which are spiritual. Restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. Isn't that amazing? I love this verse. We're going to talk about confrontation. Brethren, if a, if a man falls in a pit, fell in that hole... You that are spiritual ought to go over there and try to pull him out of that hole. Mm-hmm. Consider yourself. Or you're going, you might be the next one in the hole. Y'all follow what he was saying there? I want to talk about that because I'm, I'm going to talk. There's, there's so many things that confrontation can do. Confrontation is meant to build trust. It's created, creates intimacy through confrontation. And we think confrontation couldn't possibly create intimacy. But according to Galatians 6 and 1, it'll show us some things that actually confrontation ought to create intimacy and trust. If it's handled properly. Okay. Our thought is confrontation leads to injury. (laughs) Confrontation leads to damage. We can't have confrontation. Even as a pastor. Can I tell you this? I've been, for for much more of my ministry than, than, I'll say, For most of my past, I would have been considered non-confrontational. I hate confrontation. We won't have any confrontation in this church. (laughs) 
Because we thought confrontation was bad. We thought confrontation led to injury. We thought confrontation led to trouble. It led to a disconnect. But confrontation is actually meant to be good and helpful when it's done in the spirit of gentleness. Y'all follow what he said there? Because he's dealing with this. If a man be overtaken in a fault, let's call it what it is, a guy's messed up. Then you that are spiritual need to confront that situation in a spirit of gentleness to restore him and consider yourself that if it weren't but for the grace of God, that'd be you laying there. Who knows Moody's statement? Y'all know who D.L. Moody was, right? Everybody okay with D.L. Moody, Moody Bible Institute? One of the greatest and most powerful men of God on the planet in the last hundred years. Moody's at Westminster Abbey, and he's walking with the pastor from that church. And as they round the corner, there's a wino laying in the gutter. And the pastor had taken great concern to clean everything up, make sure everything was just right, make sure everything was just perfect, made sure, I mean, he, he lectured the people. Next week, D.L. Moody is coming. You will dress this way. You, I mean, it, it, it's all recorded. I mean, he went through a whole shebang of, this is what I expect because when Moody comes, we want everything to be perfect. They walked around the church, and when they did, there's a wino laying in the gutter with a bottle. And he's like, the pastor's appalled. Oh my gosh, Brother Moody, I didn't want you to even, I'm so sorry you had to even witness that. That's a terrible thing. And Moody looked at him and said, you're kidding me. He said, but, but, but for the grace of God, there lays I. But for the grace of God, there lay I. That's the way he said it. But for the grace of God, that would be me. That's such a powerful statement. Considering yourself also, lest you be tempted. Y'all follow what he was saying there? So he says, we've got to deal with this stuff. We've we got to learn to deal with things, okay? When you go to somebody in the spirit of gentleness, the first thing I'm going to tell you is there has to be no desire to control them. You're not there to control them. You're there to empower them. But you've got no idea or no desire to control them. And the second thing is you've got to present this with the idea of I bring no judgment with me. Do you understand what I just said? I am in no way, shape, or form your judge. I'm not here to judge you. We're going to confront the issue, but I'm not here to bring a judgment against you, and I'm not here to control you. I'm simply here to say, let's talk about this and, and see what we can do, because it's obvious you're in a hole. Am I okay with that? Y'all following what I'm saying? So, so we go from there, okay? So, so, so I'm, I'm not bringing any judgment no matter what happened. Whether you lied, whether you were dishonoring, whether you were caught in adultery. I'm not here to judge you. I'm not here to control you. I'm here to love you, okay? So, so we check out some things and, and we'll talk about this for a while, okay? I think confrontation is carried with it a point of, I, I want to control you. Can I say this? I don't have the power to control you. Right. Who's ever raised a rebellious teenager? <laughs> Come on. You think you can control them, but you... <laughs> it will be with varying degrees of, of success and usually very limited. I don't have the ability to control you. But I do have the ability to empower you. That becomes a huge statement, okay? Our view of confrontation. You've hurt me. Or you've scared me. And I'm here to control you. I'm here to tell you, knock it off. 
Right? We've done it with our own kids. My kids acted up and I used to tell them, stop it. You need to stop it right now. Stop it, stop it, stop it, stop it. Because if you don't, your mother's going to find out and you're really in trouble then. <laughs> they weren't scared of me. They were scared to death of her. <laughs> and her excuse sometimes was, because I said so. <laughs> Whose mom ever said, because I said so? Y'all know what I'm talking about? You know? Like, why? Because I said so. Stop it, stop it, stop it. <laughs> it was all about control. We've tried to control rather than to empower, and we have to learn to empower, not control. So, so, so what happens is, my mom used to say to me, I can't believe you did that. I used to hate when she says, I can't believe you did that. Then she says this, I can't believe you did that to me. Like, go ahead, rub salt in the wound now. You know, I can't believe you did that to me. Do you understand that that's just manipulation and it's a source to control? So we're going to look at it. We've got to talk about it because we're talking about empowering versus controlling. Okay? Can I say this? When, when, we, when we come out with those kind of points, we're setting ourselves up for an argument. or setting ourselves up for a fight. Most confrontations will end up in a fight because we didn't approach it. Watch what... Watch what Here's what the Bible says. In the spirit of gentleness. In the spirit of meekness. Okay? Spirit of meekness says, I'm not going to judge you and I'm not going to control you. I want to empower you. Okay? That's a huge phrase right there. Okay? So, if I'm going to have a confrontation, i got to have the right goals. Okay? My attitude and my behavior is going to flow out of my intent. So, my intent is to empower to strengthen you, to bring you to a higher place. I mean, I repent, bring you to a higher place, right? I'm, I'm wanting to bring you to a higher place. So my desire, okay, and my attitude, my behavior, it's all going to flow out of my intent, okay? If I'm going to have a confrontation, one of the things I've got to do is I've got to have some goals. What am I trying to accomplish, through this confrontation. We're going to have a confrontation. What are we going to accomplish? What are we going to try to get to happen? What's the end, re- what's the end result of our conversation? Okay? If I'm, going to, if I'm going to have a confrontation with you, I want to know what's the fruit of this thing going to look like at the end. Make sense? If we're going to have a discussion, we're going to have a time. What, what do I want to see accomplished? What's the fruit of this thing? What would be the best case scenario we could take away? That's my goal. You understand that? What's it going to be? So I start to look at that. What's that going to be? Okay. What's my intent? What's, what's the core? At the very core of this, I want to introduce the consequences of the situation. Not so that you have a fear of the punishment, but so that I can strengthen and teach. Right? Watch this. My, my 12-year-old son has a curfew of 9 o'clock. And he came in at 10 o'clock. Sounds like an idea for confrontation, doesn't it? Now, he's coming through the door knowing we're going to have a confrontation. What do you think's been happening since 945? He has been preparing himself for the battle. (laughs) 
okay, with every excuse and reason why he's an hour late. And he knows exactly who all's fault it is out there that he's late because he's ready to blame everyone and everything. And it was the car. Well, you know, whatever. I guess it wasn't the car. He's only 12. If he had the car, we're really going to have a confrontation. <laughs> had a flat tire on my bicycle. I don't know. <laughs> Whatever. Okay? But I don't want to just I don't want to just scream at him and tell him what his punishment is going to be because he's late. I'm going to confront him. We're going to talk about the consequences of his action, but I want to teach and strengthen him, right? As to this is what happened. Now, what we're we're going to we're going to come through this, and I'll get to this toward the end. We'll, I want to ask some questions, because what I really want to do is empower him to stop making bad choices. Y'all follow what I just said? The goal of my confrontation is to empower my son with the right kind of thinking so that he realizes this was a bad choice. I can't continue. I mean, if I continue to make bad choices, I'm going to get bad results. I want to power and strengthen and teach him to make good choices so he gets good results. Okay? But how are we going to do that? We're going to confront that. But if I begin by screaming and yelling, what's wrong with you? I can't believe you did this. Immediately, every wall goes up. And pretty soon, it's only like in three seconds, he has quit hearing me completely. What's he here? Charlie Brown's teacher. Wah, 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 wah. And he's already. And, 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 and can I say this? Can I say this is a, as a husband and wife thing? Let me tell you, when that goes on between husbands and wives, once you reach a certain decibel, us men don't hear you anymore. <laughs> All we are doing is processing, thinking, "I wish you'd shut up so I can tell you what I think." <laughs> okay, and we've no longer heard you. We have now tuned you out, and all we're doing is processing our next statement. And we know that you're not done because your lips are still moving. But when they stop, we're ready to tell you something. <laughs> okay, it's a man thing. We can't help it. We're wired that way. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Come on, all you men can say amen. Okay. It's true, okay? Because you didn't approach us in a spirit of gentleness. Okay. But, but it works both ways. It works both ways. And y'all know that, right? Okay? So, so let me cover some things. We want to introduce the consequences into the situation that are for teaching and strengthening. It's not about bringing increasing levels of the threat of punishment. Okay? Because we've talked about that. It isn't even about that, okay? One of the things that I've worked with with my kids was I wanna I wanna introduce to you and help you understand the quality of your life is built around the quality of the choices you make. The better the choices, the better your life. But I need to empower you to make good choices. I need to give you permission to make good choices. How many understand that there's one perfect father? He's a perfect father. He's a perfect father. Has he let me make bad choices? Does God let me make bad choices? Does he try to control me? Or does he try to empower me to make good choices? Do you understand what I'm saying? So in that process, sometimes, can I, can I, well, I'll talk to you. 
a child small, right? And he, he's about to do something that's going to inflict pain in his body. So we want to stop him from doing that. Can I tell you, here's a thought, just a thought. And again, every situation is going to be a little bit different. So hear this all in the right way. But if he's going to do something that's going to cause a small amount of pain, we may be better off to let them do that so that they learn there's a consequence to that that brings a small amount of pain. So when they're bigger, they're not doing something similar that's going to cause a lot bigger amount of pain. Why? Because how many of you learned more from your mistakes than the things that you did right? Do you, do you understand there's something to that? Because I'm, I'm telling you, I, I, I can stand here 100% transparent and tell you, I've learned tons more from what I did wrong than what I did right. I've learned a lot of, from my mistakes. That's how I got so smart. Okay? <laughs> I've made bunches of them. Okay? In, in that, okay, watch this because there's consequences and, and they need to learn from that. that. That's all I wanted to hit there. Okay? But I want to help my kid understand, or, or, or whoever I'm confronting, even as a pastor dealing with a, a matter with a church situation or whatever, I want folks to, to understand the quality of your life is built around the choices that you're making in life. So I'm constantly in counseling, and I'm finding that a lot of times I want people to understand you're in this situation... Because this is the choice that you made. And a lot of times I'll ask them, how's that working for you? How's that working for you? Well, you're sitting here in my office. Guess what? I don't think it's working real well. <laughs> or, or you wouldn't be here. We've got to understand that sometimes the quality of our life is so determined by the choices that we make. And my, my goal is to help you change the way you think so that you'll make better choices. Does that make sense? All right, so let's go with that and stay with that for just a second. Let's go a step further because the next thing we want to do, I want to, in the middle of that, remind you of some things you forgot when you fell. Remember Galatians 6 and 1 says, when you see a brother overtaken by fault, okay, so let's call it, when you see somebody fell in the hole, I want to remind you of some things that you forgot when you fell in that hole. I want to remind you of what an amazing person you are. Because one of the things that I firmly believe in is we're cultivating a culture of honor is that we're here to bring the gold out of everybody around us. Can I tell you that when you fell in the hole, you forgot what an amazing person you are? And all you're doing is remembering you're the person in the hole. You're covered with guilt. You're covered with shame. You're covered with condemnation. And when, you're, when you've fallen in that hole, when you're struggling in that place, you're discontented. You're struggling like crazy. And all you're thinking about is what a lousy person you are. And it's my job to remind you of what an amazing person you are. I don't need to tell you you messed up. You already know you messed up. Does that make sense? When my kids would mess up, and I don't know how it worked for everybody. When our kids were young, 
and I was working plus pastoring. My wife did this, and, and we, she didn't do it very long. We talked about it real strong. But she'd say, you wait till your dad gets home. Boy, are you in trouble when your dad gets home, <laughs> you know? And I'd come home, and I've always been pretty gentle. It's just in my nature to be gentle. And I'd come home, and she'd say, you better talk to Nicole. This is what she did. She did. <laughs> and Lori's bent out of shape over this thing, right? I said, I said, baby, talk to me, Nicole. What's going on? And she'd be crying, telling me what she did wrong. I said, okay, we've got to fix this, right? What do you want to do? And, I, and I, there's some power to, to, to asking all the right questions. We're going to go to that in just a little bit. But there's a lot can be learned by asking your child to process questions. Whether that's your child, whether that's another church member, whether that's a, a, a situation in the family, whatever it might be. There's empowerment through asking the right questions. We'll get to that in a little while. But the idea was, I'd sit there, process through all that. She'd be crying the whole time. And then at the end, I'd say, okay, what did we learn? And then, then we'd go through what we learned. And then she'd leave. And Lori would be pretty frustrated at me because you didn't scream at her. You didn't yell at her. You didn't tell her how bad she was. I didn't need to tell her how bad she was. The tears were coming. She already knew how bad she was. There was repentance that was taking place. And I was just trying to help her change the way she thinks. Does that make sense? So there's an empowerment in helping people to change the way they think. That's our goal. You understand where I'm at? Confrontation is, isn't controlling you. It's empowering you to help you change the way you think. If you're in the hole and you know you're in the hole, let's find your way out of the hole. You that are strong ought to restore such a one. What? Get them out of the hole. What? In the spirit of gentleness... Help them change the way they think so they don't end up back in the hole. Because if I get you out of the hole but I didn't change the way you think, guess what? Next week you're in the hole again. <laughs> okay? Yeah. Somehow we got to fill the hole in with something else besides you. Okay? <laughs> now, watch this. Because there's some strong stuff. Okay? We got to remind people of what they forgot. You're amazing. You're incredible. You're created in the image of God. I believe that all that person thinks is, I need to punish myself. Most of us, when we mess up, feel like we deserve to be punished. Does that make sense? Sure. How many of you are your own worst critic? You beat yourself up on a regular basis. Sometimes we live in that arena. Okay, I messed up. Stupid me. I'm the dumbest person on the planet. And we've said all the wrong things. And really, you're just cursing yourself. You're, you're just speaking word curses over yourself in terrible ways. Even if they're not verbal, you're thinking them. And that's just a terrible way to live. Okay? Uh, we're going to learn a word later on. I might even get into this today. Unpunishable. I want to become unpunishable. It's a word that, that I read in a book called Culture of Honor. It's written by a guy named Danny Silk. It's an amazing book. I would encourage anybody, get your hands on that book and read it. It's absolutely phenomenal. There's a story about a young couple that was second-term students in the Bethel School of Supernatural Ministry. And that story in itself is worth the price of the book. It's an amazing story. Uh, what's it? Culture of Honor. Yeah. Culture of Honor by Danny Silk. It's an amazing book. I think we have it in the bookstore downstairs. Uh, no, because I wouldn't, I wouldn't get it exactly right, and it's a really long story. But it's an amazing story. It, it really, really is. And it really deals with this as a confrontation. Huh? It is. It's amazing. Um, but, but I want to get to this because there's a, the, the fact is, if I, can, if I can help you to understand you're created in the image of God, and that God absolutely, marvelously loves you, I want to reach into the hole, pull you out of the hole, 
and asked you questions like, do you see you? You're amazing. I don't want to patronize you. One of the things that I absolutely hate is when somebody just comes along and, and wants to patronize. Do you understand when I say patronize you? Okay, let's deal with the issues. But let's help people understand, you're amazing. All too often in life, we've had a lot of people come along who have told us how lousy we are. And I honestly believe the world's really starving for somebody to tell you how amazing you are. Many of us in, in, in my age bracket grew up with our parents spending a whole lot of time telling us what's wrong with us. But we had very few people that ever told us what was right with us. I honestly believe the world's starving for people to tell us what's right with us. We want somebody to tell us, you are amazing. But, but to tell us in a way that we'd actually believe it. You know? Because, honestly, if somebody's come along telling you you're amazing, but they don't say it with any conviction or they don't... Like, when they don't believe it, you just want to slap them. I don't know. Is that fair to say that? Okay. It's like, shut up. Just go away. Okay. <laughs> you know? And you would never say that, but sometimes... Do you know what I mean? You know when it's real and when it's not real. Watch this, because it's, it's huge. Okay? When you're in the hole, you've... You've kind of given up on greatness. Like you just don't even believe you could ever be great again. You're in the hole. There's nothing great about being in the hole. You've given up on greatness. Confrontation comes along. And what I want to do is I want to confront you, bring you out of the hole, explain to you how great you are, and we begin to start dealing with the issues. I'm going to try to empower you to make good decisions. We're going to get moving forward in that. It's an invitation for us to strengthen our relationship. I'm going to confront this issue with you because we're going to strengthen our relationship through confrontation. Remember that I said we felt like confrontation was something we wanted to avoid when actually it's an invitation to strengthen something incredible in our life. Whether that's confrontation between husbands and wives, whether that's between bosses and employees, whether that's between pastors or spiritual authorities, you know what I mean, whatever. Confrontation's not a bad thing, and we've got to quit looking at it as a bad thing and kind of see it for the blessing that it's meant to be. Galatians 6 and 1 says we need to confront the issues, but we need to do it in a spirit of gentleness... Because we're going to empower one another. It's an invitation to strengthen our covenant relationships. You everybody see that when I say that? You understand what I'm saying? It's really an opportunity if we, if we, if we handle it well. Okay? Can I tell you something? This is huge. One of the mentoring classes, I spent a long time talking about this. You have an amazing opportunity to speak into somebody's life. But the only way you are ever empowered to speak into somebody's life with any authority is they have to believe that you have their best interest in your heart. Because if you think I'm just trying to control you, you're not going to hear me. But if you think I'm going to empower you, you will. Do you understand what I just said? If you think I'm trying to control you, you don't want to hear that. But if you think I'm trying to empower you, you're all ears. Okay? But you've got to believe that I have your best interest. If we're in a confrontation... You're not just there trying to defend yourself. You're actually going to listen to me because you believe that I care about you. You believe that I love you. I tell all my leadership in the church, I tell them this. If I ever call you into the office and I begin the statement, the conversation with, you know I love you, right? Okay. 
it, there's usually something coming after that. <laughs> you know, I love you, right? Okay. If somebody comes to you and says, you know, I love you, right? You know that there's something confrontational that's coming immediately after that. And you've got about three seconds to process, do they really mean that? <laughs> okay? Because i got to know if you really love me or not. Right? Because I'm going to give you a place to speak into my life if I actually believe that you love me. But if I don't believe that you love me, why would I give you a place to speak in my life? You may just be trying to hurt me. You may be trying to damage me. You may be trying to control me. And I'm not sure I want you to do that. Because I don't know if you love me. But if there's trust... If I can trust you, then I'm going to allow myself to become, here's a good word, vulnerable to your words. Because your words carry power. Your words mean something to me. Because I've trusted you. Make sense? Now watch this. Okay? So i got to know that you love me, and we're going to build trust out of that. Because there's different levels of trust. Okay? i got to believe, if you're here to confront me, you love me enough, you're setting me up to win. You're actually trying to empower me. You're actually trying to help me. You are setting me up for success, not failure. Is that, is that, is that serious? You all understand what I'm saying? So there's a level of trust that gets involved with some of that, all right? You're not trying to control me, you're trying to empower me. That's a strong phrase to me. If I'm going to confront you, I need to remember this, that in the confrontation, you have to be powerful as well. That we're meeting on level ground. It's not me speaking to you. Y'all follow what I just said? Right? Come on. Come on. Put that in a marriage relationship and see what I'm talking about. Right? Me speaking to you. Okay. <laughs> right? It's not. Can I talk to you? Here's a word church abuse, spiritual abuse. Who's ever heard those phrases? Sometimes even pastors or spiritual authorities have gotten to that place where they felt like. Um, I'm the authority, and I said so. And all of a sudden, the climate changed. There's been a lot of spiritual abuse that's taken place. And, and by people who, who felt like because I'm the authority, I have the right to control you. And it was all born out of control, never out of empowerment. Y'all follow that? So in the process, what happens is we've got to make sure that we're on level ground and you're just as powerful in the confrontation. I'm not here to convince you that I've got power and you don't. That's dishonor. That cultivates fear and anxiety and all of a sudden the defense is all come up. Okay? And I'm not then at that point when I'm trying to convince you that I have power and you don't, I'm going to bring out the worst in you, not the best in you. I'm going to get the worst you you got. <laughs> Because you've just become mega defensive. And the cat's claws went, ting. Okay. <laughs> you, were, you were ready to get your eyes scratched out. You, you know what I mean? And it's like, Bruh. come on, you know that happens. That's real life. That's real life. We find that in a lot of, a lot of confrontation in marriages. 
One's trying to control the other. The husband's trying to control the wife. The wife's trying to control the husband. And through the midst of that, we weren't trying to empower one another. We were trying to control one another. And it went like this. And guess who won? Nobody. Nobody ever wins in that. Okay? I'm going to honor you and empower you. What I'm literally saying in the confrontation, if it's done right, is I'm saying I am offering you the strength of my life toward your success. That, that was worth writing down right there. I'm offering you the strength of my life toward your success. Do you understand that? And that's what confrontation ought to look like. I'm offering you the strength of everything that I have of my entire life toward your success. That's powerful. That's a powerful word right there. Okay? Now, confrontation is designed to strategically apply pressure to expose the areas that need strength and grace over them. It's like you got a broken spot. And we're going to fix that broken spot. Danny Silk was teaching in a class about uh, uh, right along this line of confrontation. He said, for years I worked as a tire jockey, logging trucks. And he said, uh, I would take the, the tire, to, to, to tire flat, a flat tire on a logging truck, right? Okay? So you've got to take all the lug nuts off the tire. You've got to take that tire off, Right? But you can't find the flat tire just by looking at the tire because there's an inner tube inside, right? So you've got to take all the lug nuts off. Then you've got to break the tire down and pull the tube out. Once you've pulled that tube out, okay, you're not going to just examine the tube from the outside and try to find the hole. What are you going to do? You're going to put a bunch of air in that tube. You're going to blow it up and make it bigger than it was even inside the tire. Because external pressure won't find the hole. Internal pressure will expose the hole. You take it and you submerge it in the water. Right? You submerge the tube in the water. Who's ever done this with a bicycle tire? You know what I'm talking about? You put it in the water and you start spinning the tire around. What are you doing? You're looking for the bubbles. Because when that thing starts bubbling, you know there's air blowing out of it. You've now found your hole. Now that you've found your hole, you can patch it. Because you couldn't find the hole while it was still encased inside the tire. You brought the tube outside of the tire. You applied internal pressure. And once the thing expanded, then you were able to examine until you could find the hole. Why are you saying that for, Pastor? Here's why. Because usually a confrontation comes because symptoms have been exposed. But the symptoms are very, 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 very seldom the problem. The symptoms were just pointing that there's an underlying problem. The symptoms exposed there's a problem, but they weren't the problem. Right? Come on. If you've got a runny nose, it's probably not the problem. You probably have some kind of virus that's caused that runny nose. It's a symptom. In the same essence, watch this. If you're explosive with anger or rage, 
that's a symptom, but that's probably not the problem. The problem may go way back, and we've got to come back and find out what that was. We're going to apply internal pressure, right? Because you don't get this from the outside, you get this from the inside. External pressure is not going to do it. Internal pressure exposes the areas that need repaired. Okay? But here's the deal. The key comes back to trust. You've got to trust enough to become vulnerable to expose that area or that weakness to whoever you're having a confrontation with. Do you think most people have a trust problem? I think a lot of people really, really struggle with trust. Even in the body of Christ, we struggle with trust. Why do you think we struggle with trust? Because trust has been violated so much in our lives. People that we trusted hurt us. Do you know one of the, one of the most interesting phrases to me in the Bible? Is that Judas betrayed Jesus. Why? Do you understand that a stranger can't betray you? Never been betrayed by a stranger. I've never been betrayed by an enemy. An enemy doesn't have the power to betray you. Only a friend has the power to betray you. Do you understand that? Yeah. One of the first times that I, I dealt with a church situation where a very strong couple in my church was going through a divorce. She had caught him having an affair with another woman. And she was devastated. And she, she was a horrible mess. And then she got stronger. And I talked with her some more. And then she called me one night and she was a disaster. And you know what she was saying? I wish he'd have just died. I wish he'd have just died. I wish he'd have just died. And she must have said that like 15 times on the phone. Do you know why? Because death doesn't carry betrayal. If he'd have just died, I could have handled that a whole lot better than the fact that he ran off with this other woman. Because this, uh, now the fact that he ran off with this other woman says he's betrayed my trust. Death didn't betray me. It wasn't your fault you died. You just died. But this was intentional. You betrayed my trust. Y'all follow what I just said? That's, that's really huge to me. So there's a betrayal in the midst of that. And in the midst of that betrayal, what I look at and I think about it is... It, it's, Trust is such an incredibly valuable thing. Do you know when we learn trust? Caleb and Lindsay had a little girl last night. Oh, yeah. That little baby girl. Adeline Rose, seven pounds, seven ounces. Do you know what? For this first year, that little baby is 100% dependent upon mom and dad. I'm going to draw. I'm going to get me a pen. I'm going to draw. I got a visual in my head, right? Okay? Check it out. Okay? 
Now, we'll call this trust. Okay? Little Adeline Rose is a baby, little infant, beautiful little girl. You know what she's going to do for the next year? She's going to eat. She's going to poop. <laughs> she's going to cry. She's going to laugh. And she's going to be 100% dependent upon mom and dad. Right? So there's some things that are going to have to happen with that, right? Okay? It's a trust cycle. So, little, little Adeline Rose, okay, is now in a trust cycle. So, when she needs something, what's she going to do? She's got a need. So, you know what she's going to do? She's going to express that need. Okay? So, the need's going to be expressed. Okay? How's she going to express that? She can't say, I'm hungry, Dad. Come and feed me. She's two months old. She's not going to be able to say, Dad, I'm hungry. Can you get me a bottle? No, I don't want that one. Give me the other one. <laughs> no, I had that the other day. Give me some of this. Yeah, she's not going to say that. She doesn't have the ability. All she can do is cry, right? What she's saying is, I have a need, okay? Who knows, when you have a baby that's crying, we do three things. Come on. The first thing we do is, okay, we're good, right? <laughs> Come on, do we do that or not? Come on, baby's crying, you're going to check. Does this baby need its diaper changed, right? Because there's a need. Doesn't need. It doesn't need changed. So we're going to put a bottle in its mouth, okay? Why? Because it might be hungry, okay? But if the baby's not sucking the bottle, what are we going to do? Oh, maybe the baby just needs rest and comfort. So we hug the baby and we rock the baby and we sing to the baby. Hush, little baby, don't say a word. I never knew where that song came from, okay? Mama's going to buy you a mockingbird. What, did y'all, y'all do that? Never mind. Okay, <laughs> okay, okay. Yeah. Y'all don't know that? Okay, never mind. Might be a different generation. I don't know. But, but anyway, maybe it's a Western Pennsylvania thing. Okay. But, but the babies express the need. Okay? So we're going to do that three-point check. We're going to find out what's going on with this baby. And what does this baby need? What are we doing? Okay? The baby has expressed the need. So what are we going to do? We're going to respond to the baby's need. Okay? So now we're going to respond to that need. What are we doing? We're building trust. Okay? Let's say the baby was hungry. So we got the baby the bottle, and the baby is now sucking on the bottle, and the baby is happy. Okay, what happened? The need has been satisfied. What did we do? We just taught this baby to trust. The baby just learned trust. The baby learned if I have a need and I cry then you're going to respond to my need and my need's going to be satisfied. So what will happen? The next need that I have, I'll express my need, my need will be responded to and satisfied. Do you understand that that's a cycle? Right? Okay. So we learn the trust cycle as an infant, as a baby who can't take care of itself. And this is the trust cycle that begins to start. Even as a little baby, we learn this is what life is like, right? So this works. But what happens when we express the need? We have a need. We express our need, okay? And our need now 
not respond to. Nobody responded to our need. I expressed my need, but no one responded to my need. Therefore, my need went unsatisfied. And what happened to my trust? All of a sudden, I began to lose trust. And I found that people aren't always trustworthy. The cycle's been broken. And now I'm challenged as to how to trust, when to trust, who to trust. And sometimes trust is very, very hard, especially when trust has been violated. Right? Watch this. I had a need, and my need was to share my intimate secret with you in confidentiality. So I expressed that need by sharing my secret with you, okay? And you responded to my need by loving me, comforting me, and keeping my confidentiality. So now my need was satisfied. I was able to vent, and I felt like that you were somebody I could trust when I had a need. So I came to you with my next secret that was even bigger and, 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 and maybe more confidential and more personal. And I told you my need because I trust you. But when I trusted you and told you my need, you didn't respond to it very well. You went and told your friend who went and told their friends. And it wasn't too long till everybody knew what I only shared with you. And what happened? Immediately walls went up. And I learned you can't trust people. And now I've built a wall to keep you out that's become a prison that's only kept me in. Y'all follow what I've said there? Does everybody see that? Because that's really, really clear. Okay? So in confrontation, what I'm trying to do is, I'm trying to create a trust cycle, but I can tell you something. My trust cycle needs to be created with you long before the confrontation. Because if you don't trust me, we're not going to have a confrontation, we're going to have an argument. Do y'all understand what I just said? That's, that's huge right there. I've got to build a relationship with you. Can I, can I say this? I, I can say this. I, I feel pretty comfortable with this. I've known John for, I don't know, 25 years or more, somewhere close to that. Okay? He's known me well enough that he could share just about, I think, I probably know more about John than probably anybody on the planet knows about you. Is that true? That's probably true. John's lived with us different times and whatever. We've known each other a long time. He trusts me. I believe John could come and tell me anything he needed to tell me. If John needs $20, he'd come and say, man, I'm broke. I need 20 bucks. And I'd say, tell Dean. No, okay, okay. Dean, Dean got lots of money. No, okay, okay. No, no he'd come and he'd share that with me. I'm not going to run around and tell everybody, yeah, John's broke again. He needs another $20. That's between me and him, right? I, he trusts me. I trust him. We're good. He said, I'll pay you back when I get money one day. I just believe. So. I've, I've lent John money lots of different times. He's always paid me back. I don't have any problem trusting John because he's proved himself trustworthy. Does that make sense? I honestly believe this. Like I, I can say this. I trust John enough. If I had a million dollars in a briefcase and I had to go away for two years, I'd hand a briefcase to John. Two years later, I'd come get that briefcase back. I'm not counting the money. I just know it's going to be in there. 
I don't need to see if there's 999,999. I know there's a million dollars in there. I'm not even going to worry about it. Whatever was in there when I gave it to him, be in there when I got it back. I trust John. Why? Because over that 25 years, he's proved himself trustworthy. I don't want to violate his trust. He doesn't want to violate my trust. We have a trust relationship. Make sense? Okay. Go ahead, Tom, then I'll finish this. What did John do with the other million? Did I say two? Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah, hey. <laughs> what did you do with that? Okay. okay. Yeah, okay. If you got two coats and your brother don't have any, you're supposed to give him one. <laughs> okay. Um, y'all, y'all follow what I'm saying, though. We built that trust relationship a long time ago. Okay. But let's say this. Let's say, let's say I know Daniel. Now, I've only known Daniel from the class, and I haven't known him very long, and we haven't spent any real time together. It might be that Daniel has been friends with Phyllis for a long time. Daniel and Phyllis have known each other for 25 years, which would be really hard for him. Okay, <laughs> okay. okay. But let's just say that, right? And they've known each other for all this time. All right? And Daniel has a situation... I may not be the one to confront Daniel in that. But Phyllis knows me and she trusts me. And I trust her. And we've, we've known each other for a long time. We've built a trust relationship. I might say to Phyllis, Phyllis, you need to be the one to deal with Daniel. Why? Because they already have a trust relationship. Does that make sense? Because she's going to be much more effective speaking into Daniel's life. Watch. If you see a brother overtaken in a fault, ye that are spiritual ought to go to one in a spirit of meekness or gentleness, right? She's going to be the one to address that much more than maybe I would. But you're the pastor. You're the spiritual authority. It's not even about that. It's about trust relationships. Phyllis has a much deeper place to speak into Daniel's life because she's earned that place in his life by building trust. Am I making sense? Y'all follow what I'm saying? Because that's huge to me, okay? What's happened is, we got this twisted and we felt like, well, you're the pastor. You need to deal with this. You understand that we're a family and as a family, we need to deal with this. So the family of God is here to restore, uplift and build one another. And we need to be taken. When, when, can I say, when Abel or when Cain said to God, am I my brother's keeper? We twisted that. Because I'll tell you something. You are your brother's keeper. You are your brother's keeper. It says so in Galatians 6 and 1. You which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of gentleness. I think you are your brother's keeper. Y'all follow that? It's not the pastor's responsibility. It might be part of the pastor's responsibility, but you share in that responsibility. So do I. It's not just... It's not just the, the evangelist or the prophet or the, or, or the, or the apostle. Or you can pick. You pick one. Doesn't pick, give, put a title on it. It's not just their responsibility. We share in a common responsibility. It's called the family of God. And we share with one another. That's huge to me. We've got to work at this because we had it twisted. And we felt like confrontation was a bad thing and it was never meant to be that way. So we talk about trust cycles, okay? And learning to trust and learning to, learning to have confidence in one another. Okay, so watch this. Here, let's talk about this. Because in the trust cycle, you've expressed your need, right? You had your need, and you expressed your need. Can I tell you something? 
one of the greatest problems we run into is right here. Sometimes the need that's presented is not necessarily the need. I might not be able to help you if you don't express your need properly. Right? Because the need that you might present and the need that you have may be two different things and you didn't present it well. let Let me share that, okay? To fully present your need and to express it properly, you've got to be able to trust me. If I'm going to confront you in your need, you've got, to, you've got to trust me, right? Now, I couldn't tell you the countless number of times I got into counseling situations that presented themselves here. And within a half an hour, that thing had swung all the way over here. Because through that process... The need that was presented wasn't at all the need that was real. The real need was way over here. But I have to be able to help you express your need, right? Two people are having conflict, and they come to me as a married couple. They're having conflict, and they're just butting heads all the time. And it's because he doesn't understand me, she doesn't understand me, blah, 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 back and forth over and over. And the truth of the matter was, 15, 20 minutes into the conversation, we found out that their monthly bills are $4,283, and their monthly income is $3,500. What's their real problem? Right. They have a financial problem that expressed itself in stress and anxiety that caused them to constantly be button heads with one another through the stress and the anxiety when the fact of the matter was they were button heads. The stress and the anxiety wasn't the, wasn't the problem of them. It wasn't the reason they were button heads. The stress and the anxiety came because they have a terrible financial problem and they've been poor financial management. And now because of their poor financial management, it has expressed itself in conflict over here. But if we can come back and they can do a second mortgage on their house, set their bills in line, and now I can adjust them and help them to get to the place where now their monthly income is $4,215 and their monthly outflow is only $3,500, now all of a sudden things have changed. You understand what I just said? I had an older couple. I had an older couple. This is a true story. They were in my office. They were, I'm going to say they were in their mid to late 60s. Well, they were probably in their late 60s. And uh, they were going at it. And I mean, they didn't have any problem going at it in my office with me. <laughs> they were going at it. And, and he said to her, he said, and these, are, these, were spirit, these were very spiritual people. I don't want, I want to take away if you knew. I, I, I better shut up. Okay. <laughs> but, anyway, but, but they were going at it to the place. Here's what happened. He looked at her and said, You're stupid. That's what's wrong with you. You're just stupid. She said, she looked at him and she said, you think I'm stupid? He said, yeah, you're stupid. She said, I suppose you think you're pretty smart. He said, he said, well, I am pretty smart. And she stopped and said, you're right. And, And he looked at her. I'm like, what are you saying that for? Because he's planning on arguing. You know what I mean? They've been arguing for a long time here. And she said, you're right. And he said, that's right. I am right. She said, I know you're right. I'm stupid and you're smart. Because look who I married and look who you married. <laughs> That's a true story. <laughs> I'm stupid and you're smart. <laughs> <Come on. laughs> 
<laughs> I lost it right there. It was like, <laughs> go home. I thought it was amazing. <laughs> Here's the deal. Their argument was over all the things that were presenting themselves. And they had that scenario that we were talking about. Is the fact was he had retired. Their bills were still adjusted to his income while he was working. But his retirement wasn't anywhere near what his income had been. Their savings had all but dwindled away to nothing. They were in panic mode because what are we going to do when the savings account's out? And they were doing this. All we did was put them into a reverse mortgage. Who knows what a reverse mortgage is? Sell your house back to the bank and they give you money every month. They didn't have any children that were, that were in need of any inheritance. They have two kids. Their kids were, were horribly well off. You know what I mean? Horribly well off. <laughs> yeah, horribly well off. It was pit- pitiful the money the one boy makes. I'm thinking, pay mom and dad's house off. Because <laughs> he could have done it easily. They just put the house into a reverse mortgage. And the, and the, and the, the bank was paying them 1200 and some dollars a month just for the reverse mortgage on the house because of their age. They do that all on mortality tables. I don't know if you're familiar with how that all works. But it was an amazing thing. And it blessed them and they were fine. What are you saying? The need that presented itself immediately in my office wasn't at all the need that was really present in their life. So when you look at a trust cycle, there's a need there, but you've got to, have, you've got to help that person express what the need really is. And they've got to be vulnerable. And who knows, here's where the real problem in that scenario was, is the man was ashamed because he grew up with the mentality, it's my job to provide enough income for my family. And because he felt like he wasn't doing his job, he was very reluctant to present what was the real need. Y'all follow what I just said? Right? He had to become vulnerable and trust me enough that he could present the real need so that we could respond to the need so that the need could be satisfied so he could learn to continue to trust and express need. Does that make sense? Follow that? So we had a confrontation in my office. But it established trust and covenant. To this day, they're both still alive and we're very close. Even in the midst of all the conflict that took place in the office, we had confrontation. We were able to express a need. Do y'all follow this? There was empowerment. And all I was doing was trying to help empower them to make good decisions. Do y'all see that? Okay, that's, that's, that's just amazing to me. That's, that's what we're looking at, okay? So confrontation is all about empowerment, okay? Okay, so watch this. If I don't understand this, okay, because my goal is to find that need. Confrontation is about finding the need and discovering a remedy. Everybody okay with that? Yeah. Y'all follow what I'm saying? So in that, if I can say this, if I don't understand that, all right, then confrontation really becomes my effort to supply my need. You and I have a confrontation, and our confrontation is 100% my effort to supply my need. You have done, the reason we're having a confrontation is because you've done something that's either hurt me or scared me. And confrontation then becomes my goal is to make you stop hurting me or stop frightening me. I'm going to control you so that you stop hurting me. I'm going to control you so you stop scaring me. That's usually what confrontation looks like. Everybody understand that? Right. Would you see confrontation that way? Okay. 
Okay? You understand that? Confrontation. We're going to confront because Donna's doing something I don't like and I'm going to make her stop it because I have authority over her. Am I right? Husband and wife. Yeah, I doubt it. I doubt it. Yeah. Watch this. Yeah. <laughs> you know her. Huh? <laughs> okay. Watch this because what will happen is when we have that kind of confrontation, what we're doing is we're going to butt heads and we're going to find out who has more power. And I'll show you I'm more powerful than you. Yes, you are. Okay? Yeah, yeah. No. <laughs> Watch this. Husband and wife. Confrontation. Is it a lot of times, is it a power control? Come on, it's a, it's a control. Who's in charge? Right? John Ross said something I thought was amazing. We were talking about marriage, and uh, he said when two people get married, he said the Bible says two become one. And the battle's usually over which one? To become one. The battle's over which one? Okay? But there's confrontation. That's it. Exactly. So watch this. So, so when we have confrontation, if we don't understand the proper way of dealing with confrontation, then what we're really doing is it becomes my effort to supply my need. When I finally do say something to you, it's because I need something. And now I'm trying to direct you, okay, because I need something. And that's often the goal of punishment. I'm going to punish you until you give me what I need from you. Do you understand that? I'm going to punish you until you give me what I need from you. How many dads punished their kids and screamed in their face, you will respect me. And kids never respected them, they feared them. There's a difference between fear and respect. Y'all find that? So all of our actions then became fear-motivated or fear-driven rather than respect-driven. I'd rather you obeyed me because you respect and honor me. So my goal with confrontation then becomes getting you to respect and honor me rather than fear me as a father-son relationship. Y'all follow what I'm saying? Let me come back to the scripture. When you see a brother overtaken in a fault, you that are spiritual, so there has to be constantly a spiritual mindset. God, who's my father, has treated me a certain way. I should learn from him. Is he my example? He's the example of a perfect father. So I've got to learn what's he, what's he speaking into my life. Y'all, y'all follow? I hope, I hope I'm doing all right. Watch this, okay? Because if I look, you did something that hurt or scared me, and I want control. So I'm telling you, you've got to submit yourself to my punishment so I can demonstrate that I'm back in control. Y'all follow that? You hurt me or scared me. You were out of control. You've now, I'm now calling you to a place where you have to submit yourself to my punishment so I can demonstrate I'm back in control. Okay? So doing that with my child, doing that with my spouse, doing that with somebody. You understand? And we, we kind of were geared that way because that's the way we've seen confrontation. That's the way confrontations look to us. So we looked at it and said, oh, confrontation's bad. I don't want to have confrontation. That's why I said for years as a pastor, I was very non-confrontational. I didn't want confrontation. Confrontation's bad. Confrontation says somebody's out of control. That was never what it was meant to be. Confrontation was meant to be an empowerment. 
And if I can catch that, the confrontation is never about control and always about empowerment. It'll change the way I see it. It'll change the way I think. It'll change the way I look. It's going to change the way I deal with my children. It's going to change the way I deal with my spouse. It's going to change the way I deal with my coworkers or my boss or those that are in spiritual authority. It's going to change the way I see things. Because now I'm looking at confrontation from a whole different level. I'm looking at confrontation. Actually, this can be advantageous because it's about empowerment. Everybody wants to be empowered. There's nobody that doesn't want to be empowered. We're helping empower this. So watch this. It may have been in that book, Culture of Honor. Um, I think it is. The dad has this deal with his kids. So, mom tells the daughter... It's your responsibility to wash the dishes after dinner. And they have a dishwasher. So it's a matter of rinsing them off, cleaning up the plates, and putting them in the dishwasher. Not a big chore. But the girl doesn't want to do that. She's got other things on her mind. She's running here and there. Mom says, make sure you clean up the dishes. Make sure you clean up the dishes. Make sure you clean up the dishes. And after several times, the daughter's all of a sudden missing. She has now run off with her friends, said goodbye on her way out the door, and never dealt with the dishes. So dad gets up and does the dishes, cleans them all up, scrapes them off, puts the garbage in the garbage can, puts the dishes in the dishwasher, sets it all up, puts the little soapy thing in, turns it on. Not a bad deal. But they have a deal in their house that if I do your responsibility, you have to do one of mine. Right? Now he's empowered his kids to make choices. She could have done the dishes. Not a bad deal. Okay? So now dad has two responsibilities this weekend and the 17-year-old daughter now has to get, she gets the choice to pick one. She can either clean out the garage or she can clean out the chicken shed. Because those were on dad's list for this weekend. Because she chose not to do the dishes and dad had to do her responsibility, he has now empowered her. I did your job, you get to do one of mine. These are my two, pick one. Y'all follow that? What was he doing? He was teaching her to accept your responsibility. But if you don't accept your responsibility, okay, now we have a confrontation. But I'm empowering you. I'm empowering you to make a good choice. But but now you have to make another choice. You've you've not chosen here, so now you get to choose here. The garage or the chicken shed? She chooses the chicken shed. How many ever cleaned out a chicken shed? It's not a neat job. <laughs> okay? But the garage was much messier. <laughs> okay? So, so it was down to that. You know what I mean? But it was on the board. You got to pick. You understand? There's an empowerment here. All I'm trying to do is empower my child to make good choices. Confrontation is about empowerment, not about control. It's about empowerment. Can you see it through those eyes? Okay? That becomes huge. There's a whole bunch more to this. Let's take a 15-minute break right now, and we'll come back to you, because I want to talk to you. We're gonna, we have to pick it up from here. I want to tie a whole bunch of things together, okay? Who's ever been in a confrontation that turned really ugly? Pretty much most of us, right? Um, did you start? You, I didn't turn this on yet. Okay, sorry. I did now. See, he confronted me, but he empowered me to turn my, to turn my microphone on. <laughs> But I trust Wiley. <laughs> okay. Yeah. A lot of times what happens is when a confrontation turns un- ugly, we've just found out how much somebody really trusts us. Yeah. We just found out, do they really trust us or not? 
But here's the deal. Watch this. You confront somebody, their natural response is they feel like they're being attacked. Right? So what's the natural response? Defend. And then in my defense, I'm usually turning around and attacking you back. Make sense? Attack, defend, attack. It's the natural response. It's the nature of man. Okay, so when you, when you confront me, I want to defend myself. And it, 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 it leads us to a place because when you confronted me, I had to decide whether I wanted to be vulnerable or not. Go ahead, Tom. I've also discovered that when you confront somebody, they go into that survival mode where it's either fight or flight. Okay. That's a good word, fight or flight, right? Okay. But watch this. When, when we can, and, and, and part of confrontation is I've got to be able to confront you in a strategic manner. I'm going to use the word strategic. We'll talk about that. But in a strategic manner so that you don't feel the need to defend yourself. I'm going to confront you with the idea that I'm here to empower you, not attack you. I'm not here. I'm not bringing judgment and I'm not trying to control you. I'm trying to empower you. And if I can get that across to you quickly enough, you don't feel the need to defend yourself. If I can communicate clearly and strategically that I'm trying to empower you. Now you have a receptivity that wasn't there if I just said, hey, what are you doing? You understand? It's huge. We have to understand that confrontation is going to have to have the right appearance. Sometimes we've confronted people. They've defended themselves. Then we had to try to bring the wall down brick by brick. It was very, very challenging. We're not even sure how it ended. We walked away more bewildered, wondering if we got through or did we hurt them. People all of a sudden are hurt. They're ready to, they're ready, come on, they're ready to leave the church. They're ready to, to not be a part of whatever you're a part of right now because they don't even want to have that, I don't want to be in the same room with you mentality. You, y'all follow what I'm saying? So in the process of that, what's happened is sometimes, and, and I'm speaking about myself, sometimes even for me, what I did is because I was poor in that area of communication because I was non-confrontational that when I did finally get up the nerve to confront somebody I did it horribly y'all follow what I just said because I I had to talk myself into confronting the situation in the first place because I'm non-confrontational and I don't want to confront because my mentality of confrontation was skewed that confrontation was bad and ugly and usually resulted in pain and injury so I don't even want to do this but now I have to because I'm a man of God okay (laughs) so so now now I'm coming and I'm I'm trembling as I'm confronting you listen brother I've got to tell you something you better you know and, and and, and, and <laughs> it was a mess, right? The, it's, it's the reality. It is a reality, and I blew it terribly. But when I understand that confrontation is more about empowerment, and there's strategic ways for me to empower you, I'm going to confront you without you putting up all your defense mechanisms in your walls. We can have an incredible conversation. It can be a, a tremendous blessing. Okay? So watch this. We'll talk about some things right now if we can. Because what, what I started to say, and I think what was cool, is if you did something that hurt or scared me, 
And I want control back. I, I want to control you. I want you to submit yourself to my punishment so you can demonstrate I'm back in control, right? Because that's the way we've dealt with confrontation. What's really happened here is we never found out what your need was. We never found out what it was that led to the behavior that you were, exp- that, that you were doing that caused me to be hurt or afraid. We didn't expose that, so we couldn't fix anything. And all I did was get you to submit and give me control, but nothing got better. How many households are that way? Y'all follow what I'm saying? Whether it's the husband over the wife, whether it's the parents over the children, we're not empowering, we're controlling. And God's calling us to a place where we're better than that. Okay? So watch this, because we're going to bring out the gold. This is, this is going to actually get good now. Okay? <laughs> okay? Right. I, I, sometimes when I'm trying to do this, I, I wonder, I know what's going on in my head, and I always wonder if I'm communicating it clearly, but I think we're starting to get the picture, at least somewhat. Okay? But I want to show you some things I think are going to be very empowering for you and, and for me. Okay? Because if we don't resolve anything, okay, then the only one who gets their needs met is the person who has the power. Right? Remember that I said when we come into a confrontation, you have to be just as powerful in the confrontation as I am. It's not about me being over you. It's about us coming together. It's never this. It's always this. It's got to be. You follow that? Okay? So whether that's husband and wife, whether that's... Can I go here? Parents and children. Because we felt, we grew up with, because I'm the dad and I said so... So when our kids started acting up, we wanted to... I'm the dad. It's my turn. I get to say so. (laughs) I want to empower my children. I want to empower my spouse. I want to empower... If I'm the senior pastor, I want to empower my staff. I want to empower the body. Does this make sense? Okay? So follow me and watch, watch where we go with this because... If we can come back to some, we'll we'll get a couple of places, okay? But if it's only the one in the power who's getting what they want, then all I'm building really is fear and mistrust. So if we're going to get to trust and intimacy, which is what we want, how many know the word intimacy literally shares a vulnerability? We we broke that down to four words, into me, see. I'm allowing you to see into me, right? Intimacy. I've made myself vulnerable, right? Right? Like, there's not a lot of teenagers out there that understand intimacy with their parents, right? Not a lot of, lot of teens that would say, hey, mom, dad, look, into me, see? Okay, because the parents would go, oh, my gosh! <laughs> so children have all kinds of ways of building up defenses, right? You've done this with your kids. I, my kids did this. I did this with my parents. Where were you tonight? Oh, nowhere. <laughs> How do you be nowhere? <laughs> right? Who were you with? Uh, <laughs> yeah, I was nowhere with nobody. You know? or, or because I have one friend you trust. Oh, I was with Johnny. But was anybody else there? Well, not really. What's that mean? <laughs> they were not real. There's some people that dropped in for a few minutes, like 6,000 minutes. <laughs> but there were people you didn't trust, so he's not going to tell you that. Defense mechanisms. Okay? We want intimacy. Okay? I got to be willing to show you the place where I'm broken if we're ever going to be able to fix that. Remember the older couple? 
They weren't broken because of the stress and anxiety. The stress and anxiety was a result of financial difficulties. But he didn't want to be vulnerable and express his need of, I'm not making enough money to pay our bills anymore. Because he grew up with the idea that it was my responsibility. You follow what I'm saying? Okay? So once he became vulnerable, we could get to that. Okay? But he had to allow me to see into him. Into me see. We had to get to a place of intimacy. Otherwise, all we're doing is cultivating guardedness. I'm guarding myself. The walls are up. There's, we've cultivated guardedness. Y'all follow what I'm saying? Okay, so follow this because it gets pretty cool now. Watch, okay? There's some things that have to happen. There's some keys, okay? If we're going to have a confrontation, the first thing I've got to have, I've got to have self-control. I'm not here to control you. I'm here to control me. I've got to control me, but watch this. Not only do I have to control me, I've got to control myself, but I've got to allow you the freedom to control you. Right? Because if I'm trying to take control over you, it comes back to Tom's words, fight or flight. Right? Phyllis is a beautiful young lady. If I stand here and her and I have a conversation, you pretty cool with me and you just having a conversation right here? Okay. Are you all right with that? Yeah. What if I come here? Okay. You don't have any defenses going up. No. What if I come right here? No. What if I put my hands right here? Yeah. Okay. 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 What if I knock you on the ground and I jump on top of you and start shaking you? What are you going to do? What would you do? You're just going to say, why did you do that? No, I'm, I'm, I won't let go. I won't let go. What are you going to do? I don't think so. Okay. She's going to fight back, right? She's, why? I'm hurting her. What's her response? She's going to want to hurt me. She's going to want to hurt me to get me to turn loose of her. Why? Because inside every one of us is a great need to be free. She's going to want her freedom. If I won't let her go, she wants freedom. I can turn sweet little Phyllis into a homicidal maniac in 20 seconds or less. (laughs) Right? Yeah. Because, Because I took away her freedom. She's got to be free. We're created to be free. We're created to be in His presence and His presence is freedom. We're created to be free. And when somebody wants to take away our freedom, all of a sudden we're ready to fight. So before we did, when we felt like we felt like we were free, we were okay. But as you start to take away my freedom, now I want to fight. Does it make sense? Because we're created to be free. So in the process of that, okay, I've got to allow, I've got to keep self-control, but I've got to allow you to control yourself. I've, I don't want to control you. I want you to control you. Okay? Phyllis has a need for self-control. <laughs> okay. Is it true? You can put somebody in a cage, put them on an island, and tell them to stay in that cage. What's the first thing they're going to try to do? Why? Because they want to be free. Right? Come on. It's just the reality. We've built inescapable prisons and had to remake them <laughs> because people found a way out. You understand what I'm saying? So, so nobody wants to be caged. Nobody wants to be in prison. Everybody wants to be free. You're created to live in freedom. When we encounter control in our relationships, we want to be... If I'm trying to control Mark, he's going to repel me. Right? Why? Because he wants to be free. He's created for that. 
There's that, that's the natural. So I can't ever go into a confrontation with the idea I'm here to control you. I'm here to change your behavior. I'm going to make you change. I got news for you. That ain't going to work so well. Okay? But if I'm here to empower you, to help you to see things in a different perspective, I'm here to offer you all of my life for you to be successful. See how different that looks? It's huge when we see confrontation from that point. Are you okay with that? Now watch this, because this, I'm hoping to change the way we think, okay? If I feel like I'm in a position where I can say, you have to do what I say, because I've earned that honor, that's not honor. That's not honor. That's not honor. That's never honor, okay? That's, that's not honor. Honor is not you have power over me. Honor is you empowering me. Do you understand that? I'll honor you when I see you as one that empowers me, not that has power over me. That was good right there. I wrote, I wrote that down because that's that good. <laughs> okay. Honor is not you have power over me. Honor is you have the ability to empower me. I'll honor you when I believe that you can empower me. That's strong to me. Honestly, my goal of confrontation is that we would empower people to live differently and to help them to see the need. You that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak and not to please yourself. Okay? If I'm going to empower you, I have to understand that you need permission to control yourself. I need, you need to be able to feel free. If I'm going to have a conversation with you in a confrontation, you need to feel free enough to really share. And you can say, into me, see. I'm going to build intimacy through confrontation. I didn't even know that was possible a year ago. A year ago, I didn't even know it was possible to build intimacy through confrontation. I thought all confrontation did was repel people and cause pain and injury, and we should avoid it at all costs. And sometimes you have to have confrontation because confrontation brings order. I, 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 was, I was misled. And I guess if I can say this right, because I felt like I was misled and misunderstood. I believe there's a lot of people that have been misled and misunderstood. And I'm just trying to bring some clarity to the idea that confrontation is never about control. It's always about empowerment. Okay? And if we can deal properly with confrontation, whether that's with our kids, with, our, with the youth, with the, each other, with our peers, with our spouses, it will be freeing all the way around. Not just for those of us that are hearing this, but for everybody that's in our metron, in our area of influence. You understand that? So we look at this, and this is strong to me, okay? Because you ought to be strengthened as the res- out of the result, that ought to be the result of our confrontation. If we have a confrontation, no, we ought to both go away stronger. Not one stronger and one bruised. Y'all follow what I just said? Because our idea was confrontation, somebody wins, somebody loses. Am I right or not? Confrontation is somebody wins, somebody loses. No, confrontation is we both win. We ought to both go away stronger. We ought to have deeper intimacy. Our relationship ought to be built stronger. And we ought to have a stronger covenant between one another. Does that make sense? That's what confrontation ought to look like. That should be the goal of confrontation. Right? I think it's cool. 
I think it's really cool. It changes the way I see it. If I can change the way I think, then I'm going to change the way I act. But if I never change the way I think, I'll always act differently. Does that make sense? Okay, so watch this, okay? So I don't need control of you. I need control of me. You need control of you. Confrontation at its core is me helping to empower you so you have control of you. Now watch this. If we go back to our text scripture in Galatians 6, right? If you see a brother overtaken in a fault. Doesn't it start with that? Right? Or sin. Depends on what version you're reading. You see a brother overtaken by sin. Let's call it what it is. Okay? What happened was you lost control of you because you gave it away to the thing that overcame you in the first place. You lost control. Watch this. A brother fell into adultery. Does he have control of him or not? No, the adultery took control of him. Now he's in the hole, and he's covered up by guilt and shame and condemnation. And I'm going to confront that to empower him, get him out of the hole, help him to see himself for the amazing person he is, empower him, let him begin to see himself as made in the image and the likeness of God, that there's a repenting, a changing of the way he thinks, empower him because I've confronted him in his sin. I didn't come to judge him, and I didn't come to control him. I came to empower him to get his life back. I'm going to preach now. (laughs) But you understand what I just said? Because that's huge. I want to get him out of the hole, help him to see himself for the amazing person he is, pull the gold out of him, and help him to begin to understand that, you know what, there's so much more. He's got gold in him. I want to pull the gold out of him and help him to walk in a power that he didn't have before while he was still in the hole. Because he was covered over with guilt and shame and condemnation. And all he wanted to do was punish himself. And I need to help him to understand you don't have to punish yourself. You've done a fine job of it already. Stop it. Because most of us, when we fall, beat the fire out of ourselves. Am I right or not? Right. This is strong. This is good. Okay, watch this. I want to show you some things, okay? My idea of confrontation is to bring strength and honor and help to the individual that you're confronting. Okay? We're going to honor them. We're going to honor them. You don't think about confronting somebody to honor them, do you? But it's really a form of honoring them. That's strong to me, okay? So how do I help you? The first thing I want to tell you is ask good questions, okay? I'm not here to fix you. I'm here to ask you questions. Y'all follow what I just said? Ask good questions. Why do you say that? Job 38. Turn to Job 38. It's cool. I love this, okay? You got to understand, for about, I don't know, maybe 30 chapters here, Job's friends have come along. How many have read this story? Come on. Do you have trouble, like when you're reading through the Bible, do you have trouble reading the book of Job? Because it's like 35 chapters of whining. (laughs) I'm like reading it saying, stop this. This is ridiculous. And his friends come along and they criticize him and opinionize over him. And I mean, it's pitiful. It's, It's just plain pitiful, right? Okay? They blast them, they criticize them, they opinionize them. Then Job 38. Job, Job 38 is where we're at. We're going to look at the first three verses here, okay? But you got to understand, Job's friends, I mean, they have blasted him for chapter after chapter after chapter. And Job's whined and complained, and God, why did you make me? And I even cursed the day I was born. This is pitiful, okay? It's going through a terrible, awful time. But understand the incredible loss. The man who had everything now has nothing. He's buried five kids. This is tough. Come on. That's a tough place to walk. His wife has said, why don't you just curse God and die? And I'm sure he probably thought and said, no, I can't do that. Okay? But in the midst of that, now after all these people are done with all their stuff, God shows up. Yeah. 
Job's greatest complaint was, if I could just appear before God. If, yeah, yeah, come, he's saying it. He's saying, come on, God, show up, because I want to have a conversation with you. If I could just appear before God, I could get some answers. Guess what? God just shows up in verse 38. <laughs> Chapter 38. I love this. God shows up. Watch what it says. Okay? Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind. I love this. God said, okay, Job, here I am. Who is this that darkeneth counsel by words without knowledge? <laughs> I, I'm not even sure if he was talking to Job or his friends there. I, I've read that and wondered. He might be talking to Job's friends. It might be God's way of saying, shut up. <laughs> shut up, shut up, shut up, shut up. Because God, he's ready. Who is this that darkeneth counsel with words without knowledge? Okay. And then he looks at Job. Watch what he says to Job. Gird up now thy loins like a man. I'm going to tell you something. I don't know about you. But if I've been praying for a long time and God shows up <laughs> out of a whirlwind and says, Okay, you. Gird up your loins now like a man. I'm like, oh no. <laughs> it, it could be bad. When you hear that from God, this could be bad. You're like, oh, oh. <laughs> oh. Because you got to know, man, Job right there, he, he might have needed to go home and change pants. I don't know. <laughs> Gird up your loins like a man, for I will demand of you... And you answer me. Did you catch that? God knows everything. Right? Come on. He's very prophetic. <laughs> okay? He's the prophetic of all prophetics. Okay? The prophet of prophets. God says, I'm going to ask questions. And you answer them. Anybody see there's a key here? God said, I'll ask you some questions and you answer me. He could have just told him, Job, here's your problem. He could have just said, Job, this is what you need to do. Now fix it. Let me know how it works for you. But he didn't. He said, I'm going to ask you some questions and you answer me. That's huge to me. There's a lesson to be learned here. Job is now being confronted by God. Is he being confronted by God? And what God do? Ask questions. Is that a lesson for anybody beside me? Because that was a huge lesson for me. Job is now being, confront, is being confronted by God. And God says, I'll ask questions and you answer me. Okay? Questions are powerful. They stimulate thinking. Right? Can I say this? There's too many androids out there waiting to be told what to do. You are ten times more empowering someone when you ask them questions and make them answer them for themselves. Because now they're not doing what you told them. You are stimulating thinking so they can tell themselves. Everybody understand that? That's huge. So we're going to ask questions that are going to stimulate thinking. That's the way you empower somebody. Okay? Can I say this? The first thing that becomes real important, you're going to have to trust that they want to solve their problem. I can't tell you how many times I've had somebody come to a counseling session. And for 45 minutes, I'm not being critical, don't hear this wrong, whining complain for 45 minutes. 
And then I usually do this with questions because I've, I've learned this now. So I'm asking questions. What can I do to help you? What can I do to help you? What can I do about this? How can I help you? I don't know. Why? Because they weren't coming for help. They were just coming to complain. What's that? Okay, sometimes to suffice a spouse, right? Because Dean's been to the office several. Never mind. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. No, I'm just, I'm just kidding. Okay. okay, right? But sometimes, sometimes it's, you know, yeah, okay. But watch this, okay? Because I think it's strong, okay? You're going you're gonna to trust that they're going to want to solve the problem. We've got to confront it. Genesis 18. Sometime I'm going to really, we don't have time to go into it right now because we've only got about 45 minutes left in class. But if we were to study Genesis 18, you're going to find something. God comes down and has a meeting with Abraham. And you know what it says? God says he came down to see if this thing about Sodom and Gomorrah was really the way he heard. Hey, dude, read the the book. You're going to have to read the book. But God actually comes down to check it out and see if this thing's really the way it says. Like, God didn't know if it was really that way, right? So he said, I'm going to come down and check this thing out. And you're saying, well, Pastor, what do you mean God didn't know? He's God. If he chooses to not know, he gets to not know. I don't even understand it. I'm not even trying to claim to understand it. It's another message for another day anyway. But God comes down, and he's going to have a meeting with Abraham, Right? And he says to Abraham, I'm destroying the city. I'm going to burn them all up with fire and brimstone because they deserve it. And Abraham says, whoa, whoa, whoa. Hold on, God. Whoa. Hold it. Let me ask you a question, God. What if there was 50 righteous people in that city? Would you still do it? Do you understand what Abraham just did? He confronted God. Abraham confronted God. Because God said, I'm destroying the city. And Abraham confronted God. Said, if there was 50, would you destroy the city? Well, well, I guess I hadn't really thought about that, Abe. <laughs> I don't know. Let me think about it. Okay. All right. I'll tell you what. You find 50, we're good. I won't destroy the city. How about 40? <laughs> I got 40. Do I have 35? 35, 30. 35, 30. 30. How about 20? 20, 20, 20, 20. Got them all the way down to 10. God said, okay, here's what it is. Abraham, we'll do it your way. If you can find ten righteous, I won't destroy. He confronted God. And you know what it says at the end of the chapter? God went his way, and Abraham went his way. That's amazing to me. (laughs) Abraham was a friend of God. But what I find was God was confrontable. If God's confrontable, who isn't? (laughs) Do you understand what I just said? Sometimes we feel like, well, I can't confront him. He's the pastor. I can't confront him. He's an evangelist. I can't confront him. Everybody knows him. I got news for you. If you can confront God, hello. (laughs) Right? Did Abraham confront God? Come on, there's a confrontation that took place here. And he got him clear down to 10. I said that with reason because you know what? Abraham confronts God, okay? And in verse, it's in verse 34, it says God went his way and Abraham went his way, okay? Confrontation isn't dishonorable. It's not disloyal unless you're trying to control somebody, right? 
Abraham did not dishonor God by confronting him. Abraham was not being disloyal because God said, I'm going to destroy the city. And he said, wait a minute, let's talk about this. Right? There wasn't anything disloyal. God didn't rebuke Abraham. How dare you? I said, I'm destroying the city. How dare you ask me not to? Didn't hear that in the Bible. You follow where I'm at? Well, it didn't look like Abraham used to be a friend of God until he challenged him on that whole Sodom thing, and then they were mad at each other forever. <laughs> right? It was a confrontation. It was a confrontation. And God does that with his friends. How do you know that? Moses did the same thing. Come on. Moses did the same thing. Meekest of all the men on the earth. Is Moses the meekest of all the men on the earth? Come on. Does the Bible say Moses was the meekest of all men? It says it. It's in the book. Read the book. Don't wait for the movie. Read the book. Okay? In the book, it says Moses was the meekest of all men. God says, I'm going to destroy these Israelites. Calls them stiff-necked. I'm going to destroy the stiff-necked people. They deserve destroyed. I'm destroying them all. And you know what happened? Moses said, oh, wait a minute, big guy. Wait a minute, big guy. We don't want to go here. If you destroy them, what will your enemies say about you? Weren't you big enough to get your people into the promised land? Come on, does Moses say that? It's exactly what Moses says to him. Hold on there. And God says, hey, were you talking to Abraham? <laughs> you understand where I'm at, right? Because Abraham confronts God. Moses turns around and confronts God. And God says, okay, fine, they're yours. But in a couple chapters, you'll want to kill them all. <laughs> Moses confronts God. And in the midst of that, you know how Moses confronted God? He asked him questions. You know how Abraham confronted God? He asked him questions. What do you learn from that? How God confront Job? Ask them questions. Questions that stimulate thinking. Y'all following this? I think there's a biblical pattern for confrontation. Maybe confrontation isn't me telling you what to do. Maybe it's me helping you to see by asking questions that you answer because I've stimulated a thinking and a pattern that you weren't thinking before. Anybody okay with what I just said? Powerful key here. Powerful key. Ask questions. Questions that are going to stimulate thinking. Because questions help people find solutions from the inside out. They help them to realize. Remember I talked about realizing what they forgot. They start thinking and they start answering their own questions. Right? And they begin to start finding self-value, self-worth. They begin to start seeing themselves back on that platform that they used to be on before they fell. Y'all follow what I just said? brings them back up to a higher place and now that they're thinking they're saying hey I am amazing why? because we all want to think we're amazing we all want to believe in ourselves. and all I'm trying to do is help you to believe in yourself again because when you fell remember that we started in Galatians 6 when a man's overtaken by a fault once you've fallen right you don't feel amazing anymore you don't feel very high value of yourself and all you want to do is punish yourself and now I'm going to stimulate thinking bring you back to a higher place where you feel good about yourself again and you, I've stimulated you to a place I've confronted you in that place to stimulate your thinking so that now you're answering questions and feeling pretty amazing about yourself again do you understand how, how, how empowering that is? It's strong to me. Now watch this, because it's huge. In the midst of this, if I can help you to feel like you're 
a really good person again simply by asking questions. I believe I can set you to a place of freedom. And that was ultimately what you wanted in the first place, was a place of freedom. Phyllis was absolutely fine until I put my hands around her neck and threw her on the floor and she turned into a homicidal maniac. (laughs) Why? Because she's got this need to be free. Okay? So here's a good question. Sample questions. If if I've got to confront you and you don't even realize what's gone on yet, but I've got to confront you, I might start out with, I was wondering if. Just follow what I just said? Right? Went to, went to dinner last night after, after Bible study. Dick was there, Lori and I, uh, David and Lisa Hicks, and their daughter Olivia. We were all sitting around the table, right? So let's assume, because we had a great time. Nothing, nothing. We just had a great time. We sat there until long after the place closed and they were ready to throw us out. Uh, <laughs> but we had fun and we left a really big tip so they didn't care. Okay. <laughs> but in that, let's say, let's, say, let's say Dick said something to Lisa and he didn't even realize what he had said. But Lisa came to me afterward with tears. Okay? Then I've got to maybe come to Dick. I'm not going to condemn him. I'm not there to judge him. I'm not there to control him. I'm there to empower him. Why? Because he doesn't even understand that he's hurt her. How many of you know a lot of times we hurt people and we don't even realize we hurt people? How many times, how many know some people come across really brash and harsh? All the time, and they don't even know they're brash and harsh. Like, they're offensive. Like, people don't even want to be around them because they're offensive, and they don't even know they're offensive. They don't even have a reality at all that they're offensive. I've had people come to me several years after an offense that I hurt them, and they're asking me to forgive them because they thought so horribly about them, because I, when this happened, they felt this, and I, and I didn't even know it happened. I had a lady that came to me here that was part of John's church when I pastored him in Waynesburg. And it was almost 17 years later and with tears running down her face asked me to forgive her. Because when we left Waynesburg, she felt some things that were unresolved that I didn't even know were there. So then every time she heard my name, it bothered her to the place where it was painful to her and she just thought terrible things. And she realized now that that was nothing but the devil playing with her head. And she was asking me to forgive her. And I hugged her and said, honey, I've never felt anything but love for you. I didn't even know. And had I known 17 years ago, I'd have fixed it then. Do you understand what I just said? So now Dick's caused an offense that's now hurt Lisa. Lisa comes to me afterward with tears. Oh, my gosh, I can't believe he said that. I don't even know why would he think that about me. And I'm trying to think, I didn't even realize he said that, but let's find out. So I'm going to come to Dick. I was wondering if you realized how Lisa felt when you said, and he'd be like, oh my gosh, that's not at all what I meant. Maybe what she heard wasn't really what I said. This is what I meant. But I don't know if the communication was lost in my saying or her hearing But we need to fix this. I've just confronted him, but I've empowered him with a question that he's now able to respond to and fix. Do you understand what I just said? If I'd watch this, if I'd have come to him like this, Dick, you were way out of order when you said that to Lisa. What happens? 
Right? But because I brought it as a question, I was wondering if you even realized how Lisa felt. Oh my gosh. What happened? There's no walls of defense. All of a sudden there's just, oh my gosh. And remorse. And I've got to fix this right away. I want to make sure this is well. I love Lisa. I would never mean to hurt Lisa. She's amazing. I think she's an incredible girl. So there's no part of me ever that wants to bring pain or hurt to her. We've got to fix this. Do you have her phone number? Can you see that? I'm just curious. Immediately. Why would you have gotten involved in it? I, I would have actually. The, my initial response would be, "Honey, we we got to fix this. You need to you need to explain to Dick that you feel that way." Would have been Matthew eighteen. She needs to go to Dick, but she came to me rather than going to Dick. She should have went straight to Dick when it happened. So she missed that there. She came to me. I'm just simply going to help her co- communicate that. But she was going home. I was going home, and I saw Dick this morning. So I could say to Dick, "I was wondering if." Do you understand? Rather than attacking him, and all I'm trying to do is bring out a viable point here. We kind of got sidetracked with that. But the point that I was trying to bring is I was wondering if you, and I just used that as an example. Probably not the best example, but I understand what you're saying. Matthew 8, do you understand where Alana's at? Matthew 18, let's go to that person that offended us. Then if he doesn't hear us, then you bring in a spiritual authority or another brother or sister or whatever. I, I really just, I've been trying to track for the online and, and I, maybe I'm just off and maybe we're not. We're not there yet, because you're, you're usually a suspense kind of person. Okay. <laughs> but a lot of what I've been hearing this morning, I'm not, I'm not having line up with what we've been being taught okay. over, the, over the months period of love and faith and grace, and um, it, it almost seems contradictory to me. So I'm, I'm really trying to. Okay. I'm really trying to understand. Help me out. Go ahead. Okay, because if you have a question, there's probably a lot of that in the room. And I was I would give some time for that, but we'll do it right now. Yeah. Because, like, when you were back on the trust cycle and everything. Sure. Um, to me, that setting that for expectations and lack of faith and, and, and just the whole experience-based way of living as opposed to no expectations, love not alone, helping someone to realize their identity. Okay. Where's the identity? And like I said, maybe you're getting there. I, I am, but you're okay. <laughs> okay. Okay. I was trying to understand because I was just like, it seems so experiential and so mm-hmm. Sure. I'm in Christ today. But prior to being in Christ, I have lived in crisis. Okay. And can I say this? There's a whole lot of us that got born again without ever really walking in the kingdom. Is that fair to say that? I hope that's fair to say that. You know, I've been studying John 3 because I don't fully understand. But when Jesus speaks to Nicodemus, except, you be, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Right? But I wonder if you can be born again and still not fully see the kingdom. Uh, you know what I'm saying? So there's a whole lot of, of, of this cycle that we see even in the church. And I lived in that cycle for years, even as a pastor, right, of, of expectation, hurt, pain. Trust, mistrust, and we'll, we'll cover a whole bunch of that in just probably the next 15 minutes. Wiley, go ahead. Well, just because she said this, I, I was reminded of something I wrote down earlier today. I don't know if it was yesterday or what, but uh, he made an example. There was an example made of uh, Dean and John, and <clears throat> I was going to ask, okay, you've done a great example of telling us how. 
to how we, if when we're in John's character, how do we act? What's the righteous way to act? But we didn't really go in, and he made his point. We didn't really make get into the character of Dean. What if we're in Dean? And see, Nancy asked, you know, what if I'm, and I didn't know which side of the relationship she was talking about, but what about when, when I'm in Dean's position? How do I act? How, what's the, and, and it, it came, I don't know what you said earlier today, but it was, it sort of struck me that you are, you're talking about how do we act? You're in a place of leadership. How do we act when we're in Dean's situation? And what I wrote here is, um, and I thought of this when Alana was talking, this this message teaches me, and you correct me if this is right or wrong, but the message you're teaching me how to handle those who are growing into love. But as I'm renewed to his image, I'm becoming less and less vulnerable myself. Okay, what we were talking about, and so I'm being, and I'm changing from being able to identify with the need to be handled this way, and simply being able to handle and love others this way as we all grow into the image of love and act the way you're saying. Well, yeah, but we've been taught, you know, and so is it that. Is it that see? Because you were saying, well, we don't do that because we're, you know we're vulnerable, and everybody in the room is saying, yeah, yeah. Well, because we all used to, we identify with being vulnerable, but we're wanting to grow. But there are many of us who are in a relationship of maybe we're in the character Dean had yesterday. Are we? This is how we can. If we're in Dean's place, this is how we can handle the character that are in John's places and grow, and that love grows back. That that that, that this is. Uh, that the relationship is brought together again. You know what I mean? That I'm walking in love and I'm walking in, this is how I understand this is their motivation and whether it needs to be or not, this is where they're at. This is where we're, this is where we're starting. Okay. And and I'm, I'll be quiet. But I, mean, I think I understand you. Part of that is I was dealing with Kling's on the whole heating system and was out of the room, so I don't know what he talked about with Dean and John. <laughs> yeah. But do most of you understand what he was just saying? I, I understand what he was saying. Okay. I, you didn't understand it all, and you, and you were obviously here. <laughs> okay, I think I think I do, and it references Alana's point. So let me let me try to clear this up because I got a little time, and there's a couple things I absolutely need to hit so we can bring closure to where we're at. But watch this then, and, and I'll I'll do it from this perspective. Um, Alana says, "How do we?" Because we don't want to project to the idea that we're, we're, we're we have expectation, our identity our identity is up and down, and we're on that whole roller coaster because that's kind of what we get sometimes. Okay, and most of us in the room are trying to get off of the roller coaster and actually walk. Can I say the word stability? Because that's probably one of the greatest needs in the body of Christ is stability, and I think that's what we're looking at is how do I how do I get to that place and stay there. Not get to that place and fall and get back up and fall and get back up and fall and up and down. I want to get to that place and stay there and walk out in stability. Okay? Now, what happens is, in that whole circle, cycle of trust that we had up there, and that's what you were referencing was that cycle of trust, that an express need. Okay? The fact is, is that we're going to, no matter where you're at in your walk with God, you are going to meet people in every possible walk of God. And I think that's where Wiley was saying is that sometimes you're going to meet a Dean who's walking here and sometimes you're going to meet a John who's walking here. Is that what you were saying pretty much? And there's different levels where people are at and we've got to meet them at their level. Um, one of the, boy, hear this in the right way. Man, don't hear this wrong at all. 
But a lot of times, Pastor Dan will counsel with somebody and talk with them. Dan lives and walks in an amazing place. I think we're all well aware of that. That's probably why you're here, okay? (laughs) Because Dan does. He lives and walks in an amazing place. And it's awesome to me. But I've had people who have have come to me and said, you know, I, I talked with Pastor Dan. I'm just not where he is. And then they'll say, I'm not sure anybody is, okay? So what we're challenged is, is rather than challenged to try to meet him where he's at... The challenge comes is that so many people look at that and say, okay, but he's an anomaly and the rest of us are all just down here floundering. Okay? My goal then is to help you by lifting up and saying, you know what? I might not be there, but I'm on my way. And I've got to keep climbing to get to that way. Okay? And I'm going to keep climbing. And I'm not going to justify being down here when I know that that's possible. If it's attainable, I'm going after it. Y'all follow what I'm saying? So while I'm going after that, I'm going to meet people that are in every walk of life. My goal is I'm climbing. Come on and climb with me. My goal is while I'm on my way up, let me bring you with me as much as I possibly can. Can I tell you this? Not everybody's willing to come. Some people are pretty happy right where they are. They'll complain. They'll fuss. They'll murmur. But they're convinced they're going to die in their wilderness. They really don't want to cross Jordan with you. Everybody understand what I just said? It's a shame. I wish it wasn't that way. And they've been in church for years. But they're not willing to change. They're just willing to complain. Even to the point of blaming somebody else. Oh, blaming everybody else. Because it's obviously not my fault. (laughs) When you, as an individual, we be challenged to pick up the Word and study the Word. Right? Then we would be gain knowledge, which we should have been doing for X number of years. Exactly. Okay. okay. Exactly. There's a huge amount of that. And even today, and I'll say this, I honestly believe, I got born again in 1978, in February of 1978. I promise you that in the last five years, I've learned more than in all the years prior to that. I really believe that. Now, I think two things are happening. One is there's exposure to truth that I wasn't exposed to in the past. And the other is I believe we're on an accelerated timetable in God. I believe God has accelerated a whole bunch of things in His kingdom. Okay? But there's exposure. See, when you're not exposed to truth, you can't... How do you walk in the truth you've never been exposed to? And even though it was in the book, I read the book. But can I say this? I was reading the book because... Boy, I hate to say this. It was my Christian duty. They told me I'm supposed to read the book, so I read the book. And then, then, then watch this. Larry, how, who, who saw when Larry Lay had the big movement, Could You Not Tarry One Hour? Who knows that book? Larry Lay, out of the Rock Church, and, and, and a huge movement that we should be praying an hour a day. How many of you got a timer? Because I bought, I bought a 60-minute egg timer. Because I purposed in my heart, I knew I wasn't praying an hour a day. And I purposed in my heart. I was in Battle Creek, Michigan at the time. It's probably 20 years ago now, at least that. Maybe a little longer than that. And, and I bought an egg timer, 60-minute egg timer. And I would go over to church 6 o'clock in the morning, somewhere around 6 o'clock in the morning, because my day was consumed. And I knew if I didn't take that first hour, I was never going to get an hour. And I purposed in my heart, I'm going to pray an hour a day. And I hit that egg timer. And I'd get to praying. And I, and I prayed a lot like I preached. So I'm praying and I'm praying. And I'm praying up a storm. I mean, I'm having me church 
church while I'm praying. And I'm like, oh, I'm about exhausted. Look at the egg timer, and there's still 50 minutes. <laughs> I thought for sure I was near done, you know what I mean? And you're just after this thing. Because we knew it was the right thing to do. Y'all follow what I'm saying? So we read... You know what is really interesting? 1 Timothy 2.15 doesn't say read to show yourself approved. It says study to show yourself approved. How many know there's a huge difference between reading and studying? What I found was I got a whole lot more when I read about two verses and tore it up than five chapters. Because I purposed in my heart I was going to read the Bible through in a year. You know, so I got me one of them read the Bible through in a year charts. You know what I mean? How's that work for anybody else? Because... <laughs> I had a young guy come in when I was in Allentown pastoring. He came in one night. He looked awful. I mean, he looked awful. His name was Lenny. Lenny Gazinski. I can tell you that. But anyway, Lenny came in. Hope you never meet him. Okay. But anyway, but anyway, Lenny came in totally exhausted. Looked horrible. He has hair everywhere and bloodshot eyes. I said, man, you doing okay? He said, yeah. He said, I was up all night. I said, really? He said, oh, yeah. And then he got all excited. He said, I stayed up all night reading the book of Revelation. I said, you, you read the whole book? He said, yeah. I said, what'd you get out of it? Deer in the headlights. Just looked at me. I said, come on, what'd you get out of it? He said, confused. <laughs> Was there any benefit? Now, watch this. A lot of times we've done, George, you're mentioning it. We've done things because we felt like they were the right thing to do, the Christian thing to do, call it whatever you want to. But if we haven't followed through, I, I say this a lot, God's much more interested in the motivation of your heart. Not just what you're doing, but why are you doing it? Okay? Even when I confront somebody, I better be doing it with all the right motives. Because I promise you, if you're doing it to bring control over them, or you're bringing that to bring judgment on them, it'll blow up in your face. But if your goal is to love them and empower them, I believe there'll be grace all over that thing. And I really do believe that. So we come back to some of the sample questions. I was wondering if. That's a huge question because now I've stimulated thinking. Okay? Here's a great one. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? I've had people come in the office, they got, they got this major problem. And for half an hour, they just ramble on about their problem. Blah, 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 and they're telling you what's going on, right? What are you going to do? Do you understand that? Tears. Like, I, I lost my job, and now I don't have any money under my rent's due, and I don't know what I'm going to do. And, I, and, and, and the, the little lady that was with me, and now she's moving out, and, and i got three kids. And what are you going to do? Have you even thought about what you're going to do? Okay? Because that's an empowering question right there. What are you going to do? Because now it stimulates thinking. Okay? Okay? For years, when they came to me and said, I can't pay my rent, I thought it was my job to fix their life. Remember that I said that? For years, I pastored with the idea, it's my job to fix people. It was never my job to fix them. I just thought it was. I didn't even read it in a book somewhere. Thou art the pastor and thou shalt fix them. It's not in there. It's just not in there. But I thought it was my job to fix people. It's never been my job to fix people. Okay? But I thought it was. What are you going to do? Can I say this? 
I've just empowered you to fix yourself. What's your plan? Tell me what your plan looks like. Maybe I can help you with your plan. See the difference? It's not my job to give you a plan. It's my job to help you with your plan. What's your plan? Okay, so probably they don't have a plan. What's the next step? Well, where would you like to start? Do you understand how empowering that is? Where would you like to start? What are we going to do about this? Where would you like to start? Well, there's, there's several different thoughts like that because now what we're doing is we're trusting people with their life. Okay? So, here's a good question. How's that working for you? Questions, just questions. Quest- and I've used all these questions because I find that what I'm trying to do now is empower them to stimulate thinking so that we can begin to affect something. Then the other question you ask, do you want any help with this? Do you want any help? Not everybody wants help. And sometimes you just got to ask them, do you want any help with this? How can I help you? You know, what can I do to help you to get through this place in your life? Do you understand that? Because now it's stimulating thinking. What I'm saying is I trust you enough with your life. I'm giving you control. I'm empowering you. I'm not trying to take power over you. Everybody understand the huge difference between that? Because we thought confrontation was about control and judgment. And there's no judgment at all. I'm not your judge. I can't judge you. Matter of fact, I'm told in Matthew 7 and 1, it's probably the one commandment we break more than every other commandment in the book. Matthew 7 and 1 says, judge not, lest you be judged. Okay? So watch this. It's not about judgment. It's not about control. It's about empowerment. Okay? So I'm not barking out commands. I'm asking questions. So here's what I got to do. I got to, first I got to figure out is what is the real problem? Right? Because remember that I said, oftentimes the symptoms present, not the problem. What's the real problem? The second thing is, who's been affected? The third thing is, what are you going to do? And then the last thing is, how do we know when it's fixed? Those are huge questions. So we start to look at those things as questions and we start asking ourselves some of those things because to me it's huge, okay? In a mistake, there's two things you need. When my child makes a mistake, the first thing I need is, well, there's two things. I don't even know if this would be the first thing. Maybe it's the second thing. But you need a remedy. And the second thing you need is a safe place to learn and grow. I need to be able to feel safe to make a mistake in front of you. So that I can learn and grow from it. Ryan, most of you know Ryan, or a lot of you know Ryan. Ryan's a spiritual son. Ryan and I talk pretty much, I wouldn't say we talk every day, but we probably talk three or four times a week, at least that. And a lot of, a lot of what I've done with Ryan is just trying to pour into him and to speak into his life. And, 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 and he calls me Papa, and we talk back and forth. And Ryan's doing amazing things for the kingdom and growing and, and developing. And I'm just, I'm thrilled with what God's doing in his life. I, I, when he first came to me, Ryan was a mess. He was shaking all over. His mom actually called me. Without going into any of the details, because I don't think it'd be fair to go into a lot of the details, simply to tell you that his problem was 100% spiritual abuse. And it was a pretty bad situation. And the first thing I needed to do was create for him a safe environment. Do you understand what I just said? 
He needed a safe place to fall. He needed to know I wasn't here to judge him. I wasn't here, I wasn't here to control him. I was simply here to love him. We had to confront some things, start walking through some things. Tell you what happened. In the first month that he was here, that was created and taken care of. And from that day to this, five years later, he would tell you the safest place for him to fall is right here. Because he knows there's a safe place. I, I, don't, I don't know if everybody understands that or not. But I would tell you that for the, I, I don't even, I hate to make blanket statements. So I'll just say for the majority of us, one of the things that we're missing is a safe place to fall. We need a safe place to fall. You know what? Even in the body of Christ, I think a lot of times what happens is that we are so afraid of the judgment that would come. The criticisms. Somebody barking out commands telling us, you need to get yourself fixed up now. You know what I'm saying? We've not always handled confrontation real well in the body of Christ. Matter of fact, we've probably handled it pretty poorly in the body of Christ. But I think we're learning and gleaning some things. And part of that learning and gleaning is understanding that confrontation's not bad. Can I say this? Confrontation's not bad. Confrontation's not good. Confrontation's a tool. Is a hammer good or is a hammer bad? Because I've built buildings with a hammer, but I've tore buildings down with a hammer too. So... Maybe the deal is, whose hand is the tool in? The building crew or the wrecking crew? What crew are you on? You on the building crew or the wrecking crew? Confrontation's the same way. It can be used to build or destroy. Most of us have been through the destructive side of confrontation. I'm simply encouraging you, let's find the, let's find the positive side of confrontation. There are times when we're going to have to confront people. We always do it in love. Catch this. Man, if you don't catch anything else, catch this. Our text scripture was there for a reason and a purpose. That when we need to deal with confrontation, we do it in the spirit of gentleness. That we do it in the spirit of meekness, considering ourselves, lest we be tempted. Listen, man, and this is so strong. I want to say this real clear. I, I used Dick earlier, so let me pull him out of the ditch. <laughs> okay? <laughs> because here's the deal. If Dick falls in a ditch... And I'm there to pull him out. Guess what? I got to believe on the day that I fall in the ditch, he'll be there to pull me out. Amen. Why? Because he owes me. <laughs> no, no, no. That's absolutely wrong. It comes back to expectation and we're not going there, okay? He doesn't owe me at all. But in our minds, we think that way. But the truth of the matter is, he's going to remember. Come on, he's going to remember. I was there for him. And that'll, that'll, that'll trigger in his heart. I really believe that. And he'd be there for me. We grew up with what we called the golden rule. And the golden rule said, do unto others as you would have them to do unto you. Even in confrontation, man, we're reaching out. It's always in love and grace. It's always in the spirit of gentleness. Consuela, go ahead, hon. I thought he wanted to restore the person as to lead them back to true repentance and to a full commitment to Okay. Yeah, bringing them back to the highest point to restore, to reestablish, right? Yeah, to bring them back to that place. See, they fell in the pit, and all I'm trying to do is get them out of the pit. 
You understand we talked about that? They fell in the hole. We're getting them out of the hole. Yeah. We're going to restore them back to that place where they were before. Yeah. To restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. Not harsh. Not judgmental. Not I've got a need to control you. My greatest need isn't to control you. My greatest need is to control me. My greatest need is to control me. And, and in, that, in that same formula is to allow you the freedom to control you. I've got to give you that freedom. So when I'm asking questions, it's simply because I'm trying to empower you to a place where you're controlling the situation. Uh, let me show you some huge tool for me. Counseling. All the time I do this. All the time. You come to me with the need or you come to me and we're talking. Jesus drops scriptures. The Holy Spirit just brings scriptures because I'm a word man. I've stayed in the word all my life. So you know what? Scripture comes into my heart. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to turn to it. But I'm not going to read it to you. I'm going to turn this thing around. Read chapter 4, verse 12 for me. Tell me what it says. Okay? They read it to me word for word right out of the scripture. But I don't stop there. What does that say to you? Then they tell me, how does this apply to your situation? Do you understand what I'm doing? I'm not, now they're not taking my word. They've got God's word and they've told me. They've just given me an exegesis of the word and how it applies to their situation. So they've had to tell me, I'm done. All my counseling was, I turned to the scripture. (laughs) It was pretty simple. Holy Spirit gave it to me. Okay? They read me the book, tell me how it fits their life, what they need to do with it. And I'm like, that's good. And they hug me and say, you're amazing. (laughs) And I didn't even do anything. It was them. Do you understand that? That's powerful. What are you doing? You're empowering people through the word. Do you understand that that's one of the greatest needs we have in the body of Christ is to empower one another? That confrontation really is an empowerment? So we've got to come back to a lawless situation because if we don't address that, I don't want anybody leaving with a, mis- with a misunderstanding or the fact that we're having confliction, okay? Because I don't want to conflict anything. The truth is, is I'm learning to walk in love. I'm learning to walk in grace. Can I go here and tell you this? The greatest challenge that we have in our life is not to love the stranger. It's to love them people you live with. <laughs> Come on. Come on. It's a whole lot easier. Do you understand the grace that we have for the neighbor's kids? They come to your house and tear up and carry on and you just go, oh, they're cute. Then your kids come in and tear up and carry on. What's wrong with you kids? (laughs) Come on, we do it. And you know we do it. Okay? You know? A bunch of barbarians. I told you better than this. <laughs> Come on. And we'll freak out on our own kids, but not the neighbor's kids. You wouldn't even think of talking to neighbor's kids like that. Our greatest need isn't to love the stranger in the land. Our greatest need is to love the people in our house. We're walking in love without expectation. We're walking in grace and love. And that's huge. It's impossible for us to live and not be closer to some people than others. When I started pastoring, you know what they told me? Don't make any friends in your congregation. You're never called to be their friend. You're called to be their pastor. I was taught that. Because if you become friends with them, you've now lost your influence. And they won't even look at you as the pastor. They'll just look at you as just Don. That's impossible for me to live that way. Why? Because Christ put in me a love for people. 
So you're going to be closer with people and some people you spend more time with. And can I say this? Can I be real? Some people just have an attractive personality. And we all like different people. So you're going to be attracted to certain personality types and then repelled by others, right? When a woman that was coming, her voice drove me nuts. <laughs> Do you ever meet somebody got that whole squeaky thing going on? <laughs> I'd rather die. <laughs> like, oh my God, it's all right. <laughs> you know, <laughs> And it would freak you out. You know what I'm talking about. Some of you just know what I mean. I'm safe to say that she moved a long time ago, so we're okay. But there are certain things, and it just freak you out. Other people you just share with. Similar backgrounds. Similar whatever. History. It's amazing. And there's just a bond that happens, and there's an attraction. And you got the same likes and whatever. We're going to have that. In the process of that, we're called to love everybody. There's never a moment you're not called to love somebody. As a matter of fact, we're, we're not just called to love people, we're called to become love. To not just have love, but to become love. That can be really challenging. That's the greatest need that we have in the body of Christ. In that, your response to everybody, no matter what their background, their culture, or any other thing, is to love them. Am I right or not? Okay, watch this. I grew up in a, in a home. Dad left when I was 10. And so I felt like I had to become the man at 10, right? So at 10 years old, I'm feeling like I have to do that. As some of you know a little history, but got into boxing and a bunch of things because I was going to be a manly man, right? Because we were taught, especially because I was being raised by just a mom, right? That now I had that stigma of I'm not going to become a mommy's boy because you get kind of poked at or made fun of or whatever. So then you have to become a manly man, right? <clears throat> Tim Taylor, you know, whatever. And, and so I, I grew up with a disdain for any male who would have effeminate characteristics. Y'all follow what I'm saying? So now, in that time frame, it was just kind of the beginning of that whole coming out of the closet homosexual thing, right? Matter of fact, you did this to me one time. (laughs) It was midnight. I'm working in the mill, in steel mill in Pittsburgh, and John calls me. It's about midnight. Now, I get up at four to leave for my drive up. You call me, there was... uh, a young man that came to your house and you said he wants to get saved. You know what I'm talking about? He said, there's a guy at my house and, and, and Don, he wants to get saved. And I said, cool, pray for him. He said, no, he wants you to come pray for him. And I said... John, you can pray for him. (laughs) He said, no, he really wants you to come. And it was a pastor thing or whatever. And I felt like if he did that today, I'd say, John, you're commissioned. You qualify. Pray for him. You know what I mean? And I'd have have really pushed on. But back then, remember what I said? It was my job to fix everybody because that's the way we were trained. So you're out of bed. Now you're super pastor. Okay, (laughs) you're going to go down the road. And John didn't live far from me. So I went down the road to, to go to John's house. But you know what John said to me before? He said, 
he needs deliverance. He's had some struggles in his life. I said, what's wrong with him? He said, well, he said, it's kind of hard to tell you this, but he's been living a homosexual lifestyle. Now, I already had a stigma about that, right? And now this whole age thing has just started happening. It's the whole coming out of the closet. And I remember telling you, and this is what I said. I said, well, I'll pray for him, but I ain't laying hands on him. Okay. <laughs> but I had this thing already in my mind, preconceived idea, right? And I had trouble with that. Do you realize we're called to love them people? And we should never call them people, them people. Do y'all follow what I just said? Okay. Right? Because all of a sudden now we've categorized and now we're pigeonholing people into certain categories. And you know what I'm saying? Um, really amazing thing. Uh, that I, and I, can I compliment the church? I'm going to compliment the church and tell you this is amazing to me. But we've had a guy and Patrick and, and Brian have been part of this. And uh, there's a guy who came who was homeless. Ended up here and ended up Jonathan Fields, I think, is the one. Was it Jonathan that ended up bringing him here? And, and he was homeless, and they brought him here and helped him out and blessed him and, and, and really ministered to him and got ministered to again this weekend. And now he's set up in a place, and a whole bunch of good things happened in his life. You know one of the things that he said? He said, I can't believe a church full of white people are nice to me. Did he say something? Am I close to my real close to him? That's exactly what he said. Yeah. And he's just blown away that white people are loving him. And blessing him and helping him and encouraging him that Patrick and Rachel would, would do what they've done or to Gabe and Brian and, uh, and right down the line, even uh, Abe and Angela and, and right down the line. But even the whole body's just loved on him and ministered to him. And it's been amazing. And he's blown away because in the culture that he comes from, these people stay on this side of tracks and these people stay on this side. You know what I mean? It's never meant to be that way. We're called to become love. So when you become love... It'll blow the world away. Do you understand what that does? It just crushes satanic mindsets. That's what we're called to. Okay? Now, in the process of dealing with confrontation, and one of the things that becomes real important is that when you're confronting a situation, when you're confronting, whether it's a situation or, or the... the do you understand we never confront people, we only confront situations? Did I even say anything like that? You don't confront people, you confront situations. Right? Why? Ephesians 6 and 12. We ain't wrestling flesh and blood. Principalities, powers. Come on. So we're never confronting people. We're confronting situations. It makes confrontation a whole lot easier when you realize you're not confronting the person. You're confronting the situation. Right? Because your battle's never people. Are you okay with that? All right? But when we're confronting that, is that we never get to the point where we say, well, that's just the way they are. How many understand that? Because if Jesus would have just left me the way I was, I'd have been a mess. But he loved me enough that he wouldn't leave me the way I was. But he saw gold in me. Can I tell you that there's gold in everyone you meet? And our job is to bring the gold out of them. Okay? So when we talk about dealing with confrontation, remember this. This is just a huge thing and we'll close. It's always about empowerment, never about control. The problem is, we learned confrontation was about control when it was never supposed to be that way. It was always about empowering and bringing the best out of somebody else. Everybody okay? Okay. Um, wow. There was a whole bunch of things in my head, but I, it's 12 and we better quit. Or Dan will make fun of me later. No, he won't. I'm just kidding. Okay. Yeah. You know what's fun? We have an opportunity to share 
with some of the most amazing people on the planet together. And to me, one of the great joys is just seeing all the different, can I say this, personality types in the body of Christ and how God brings us together. It's an amazing thing. He places us in the body as it pleases Him. And it brings us together to create this wonderful living organism called the church. Because the church was never about blocks and stones, but it's a living, breathing organism. And He takes us into incredible places in Him. What we've got to learn is that we're called to empower, lift up, and encourage one another. There are so many, so many, just a ton of scriptures running through my head. Ephesians 4 and 29, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is what? Edifying. And it ministers grace to the hearer. Right? What are we doing? Empowering, lifting up, encouraging. We're never trying to control. We're never trying to slam. We're never trying to say, I'm right and you're wrong. Right? Most of the, most of the battles that we end up in, in in church or in families or in homes is I'm trying to prove to you that I'm right. But do you realize that every time I'm trying to prove to you that I'm right, I'm really trying to prove to you that you're wrong? And the reason you're defending yourself is because you have a need to what? Be right. We've got to get rid of our need to be right. That's huge. In confrontation, it's never about your need to be right. It's always about empowering somebody else to make good decisions. Do you understand what I just said? That's huge. Okay? I better quit because if I don't, I'll get onto a whole other rabbit trail. Stand with me. We're going to pray. Father, we're just going to say thank you. What a privilege we have to be able to share in our hearts together. We thank you, Lord, that when we leave here today, we might leave with a different mindset of confrontation. The confrontation is never really about control, that it's always about empowerment. That it's about empowering those around us, that it's about empowering one another, God, to make good choices, to live and walk righteous before you, never with expectation, never never with the need to control or the need to be right, but always Lord, with the idea of, I want to empower someone else to be stronger, to live better. I want to invest my life in their life to bring them to a place of success. So Father, we thank you for just meeting us here. And God, that you would just instill in us that which is necessary. Take the seeds that have been planted today, that they might bring forth fruit, God. A fruit that will bring change, radical change. God, I thank you that repentance is really changing the way we think. And Lord, maybe today we could leave here thinking differently about confrontation and realizing it's about empowering one another in the body. God, I just thank you for the opportunity we have to be able to share and to grow together. Help us, Lord, to cultivate safe places, a safe place to learn and grow, a safe place, God, where we can be vulnerable and intimate with one another. That even in our confrontations, they're only a, an opportunity to create a place of deeper covenant, deeper relationships, better places. And Father, that we would find ourselves walking out such truth and, and such love that we're becoming love so that people would feel safe and feel like a safe place to be vulnerable and intimate, God. And our relationships would just glow, grow and flourish because of it. So Lord, we just bless that and thank you for it in Jesus' name. And everybody said Amen. 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 Bless the Lord.